I'm Dr. Future, your host. I invite you to join me as together we experience a future quake. 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 Show. I'm Dr. Future. And Tom Convoy of Information. Bionic. That's true. Mm-hmm. You're the rubber duck of Christians Against the New World Order and I guess that makes you Huggy Bear? Or? I don't, I think that's a different 70s show. That's uh, Starsky <laughs> and Hutch. But I am in the way that hopefully we're street sources of information yeah. for the discerning that's Christian what I, Well, that, I mean, that's true. You're yeah. like the man on the street. Ladies and gentlemen, it's great to be back with you this week. Um, it's it's a thrill to uh, proceed further with our discussion here on Future Quake. And uh, we've got our regular stories. We've got an interesting interview coming next week. Uh, as Just to remind some of our listeners, what we're going to try to do, and we'll maintain some liberty on this, but try it that the, the first show we have up uh, each month will be an interview-based one. And uh, other weeks, like this week, we'll be covering some news stories. Do you have any announcements? Uh, I announced that things are going haywire in the the U.S. dollar, and China's rioting, and things are on fire, and the police are copying your smartphone data. But it Mm. all, you know, the Lord's still sovereign over it all, and he's doing his thing. Mm. Okay. That sounds like the theme song to Car 54, Where Are You? It was something like, there's a hole up in the Bronx, Brooklyn's broken out in fights, da 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 Anyway, something like that. Um, uh, one thing I wanted to mention real quick to our listeners. Oh, by the way, I, I didn't reiterate this the last couple of weeks. I think I said this on, before the anniversary of it, if you didn't catch it. We have now entered into our seventh year of production. Whoa! Future Quake of basically uninterrupted uh, shows uh, on the Future Quake uh broadcast area so it's exciting to start another year with you brother tom don't know what the lord has for us this year i'm like or any day for that matter i, I don't know what he has five minutes in advance mm-hmm. let alone tomorrow um some of you long listening futurians uh next time you happen to drop an email um uh let us know how long you've been listening i'd like to find out mm-hmm. who are some of the longest listening futurians out there so mm-hmm. let us know uh for that uh, a couple other quick announcements. Speaking of emails, there's something that I feel led to say. Um, uh, I've sort of alluded to this before, but um, probably the biggest part of my time at doing the Future Quake show, in addition to the research, is basically just answering emails. Mm-hmm. And the reason is, is that we have incredibly learned listeners that ask the most difficult theological questions known to man. Mm-hmm. Like everything that's like the main thing struggled for thousands of years get asked. And I really feel an obligation, even though I'm very primitive in my faith, to give a best shot at doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the problems right now that I'm finding is that we're getting so much email of that nature. Excuse me, uh, Tom. Uh, we're getting so much of it that I'm spending about five or six hours a day in email. And I love it. And I love talking to our Futurians. And we get a lot of tips for the shows and things like this from here. But um, for various reasons, I'm sort of being felt led of the Lord that I need to be putting more of my time and preparing some written materials and Mm -hmm. some stuff to get my arms around this and also some um well just some other things around here uh in the uh 
future Quake household here to mm-hmm. take care of some personal matters here and some other things I need to adjust for the long haul. Mm-hmm. So what I was just going to ask our listeners if they can bear with me, and again, don't take this wrong, listeners, because I want your emails. When we ask for them, we mean it. Um, I will make sure that I read every single email. Every email comes in will be read, even if it's got really in-depth information. Sometimes all the links, I can't get through all of them at once. But uh, I'm trying to invoke sort of a limitation on my time every day on the writing because I'm so verbose, I can't give an easy answer you on look, these difficult things. It's my problem. What you ought to do, man, is just get a P.O. box and yeah. then only respond to handwritten notes. This <laughs> You mean both people who still do that? Yeah. Uh, but what I was going to say, listeners, if you if you all can bear with me to get some things together arranged in my life so I don't, like, just get fed up and quit the show uh, and can take care of some personal matters that really need attention mm-hmm. and also do some writing and things I feel God's calling me to do, is um, I will try to answer, you know, like the quick emails on things, but I'm going to try to set a time limit every day so it doesn't take up my whole day on this. And there may be some emails that I don't get a chance to respond to because of that, and I'm going to feel really, really guilty about it. So I was going to ask you is if you really want a response back from me on something and somehow you don't hear back from me in a couple of Type days. I didn't all caps and say some Well, you could do that or that. talk about us on the other blogs or something like yeah. that or forums. But if you could just resend it. Uh, when it is, I'll just try to catch the ones that I can if I miss it. And you really need to answer, please resend it and please forgive me for it. Uh, and if you can bear with me, I'm still trying to work out what the Lord's having me to do. But I don't want to say this to discourage emails. I want you to send all your emails. They all get read. It's just I have to work through how to to answer tactfully because we have such an illiterate group of people. So mm-hmm. if you can bear with me with that, I sure appreciate that. And uh, while I'm pleading my case here, while I'm on this, uh, I'd like to remind people that we still have a whole bunch of the two book sets. Uh, we got a lot of them. With Judge Andrew DiPolitano and also with Andrew Hoffman's book, uh, Lies the Government Told You and uh, The New World Order and the Eugenics Wars, a Christian Perspective. I'm telling you, the reason why we did this is because I find that they're the most effective one-two punch. Mm-hmm. If you, A lot of our Futurians know a lot of the information in these books, or there'll be new stuff you'll find, mm-hmm. but if you... If you, like, beat your head against the wall trying to get people you know in your church or family or friends to be able to understand what we're talking about, this was done so they actually have a shot. to. You could give these people this book mm-hmm. set. And it affronts Judge Napolitano, somebody everybody knows, they respect. He gives the groundwork on the basics from the secular end of the issues we talk about. And then Andrews talks about the spiritual dimension as mm-hmm. well. And it is a way to really get people to understand about 90% of what we talk about in Future Quake. Mm-hmm. And you'll have somebody new to talk with about our stuff locally if you can introduce them to this. So we have them here. Uh, we have a sort of a discount price for the two book set together and a few bucks uh, not only help us, but I'm in the hole a good bit on some of these other ones. It's sort of my fault, but it would sure help us with some cash flow and some things mm-hmm. if you uh, do that. Sorry about that. That sounds like I should get the tears going. <laughs> <laughs> you said that the, the, what was it, the 400-foot uh, Jesus? Yeah. Did he come back again yeah. and tell you he was going to take you home if you didn't move more books? It feels or? so cheesy saying yeah. that, but it would really help. If, if it wasn't something I thought it would help people. I wouldn't recommend it, but mm-hmm. I am recommending it. And there have been some people who help us even more directly, and I need to mention them. Oh. Uh, uh, since April 13th, uh, uh, we've had uh, Brother Chris, uh, Sister Diane, Brother David, Brother Joseph, and Sister Darlene all uh, contributed donation, notable donations, in Sweet. fact, to us. And 
that that money has been allocated to some direct things we're doing right now pronto mm-hmm. um and also we've collected some additional amounts for cj oh, and i want to tell our futurians that together all of us working together we have made a major major impact um in that situation mm-hmm. and uh he is extremely grateful I'll just tell you that much. I wanted to pass it on to our Futurians who've yeah. helped along with us. And so that's a good news. That's, that's brothers and sisters taking care of each other. Mm-hmm. It's like the early church did with Jerusalem mm-hmm. and all that other kind of stuff. Because I have found out that in our clientele of Futurians and all of us in our circles, not a whole lot of super rich people. No, it's pretty much like five dudes with $5 all swapping it around back and forth. Yeah. I bought your book, you buy my book. Yeah. I haven't seen a lot of jets. Like, did you see them fly in for the conference, the politics of religion? Well, I, well, I did, but they were in. like A-tent warthogs and stuff <laughs> yeah. in the strafe the parking lot. Yeah. About the best I could do was I bought a T-shirt from Russ Dizdar. That was my yeah. major contribution there mm-hmm. uh, to it. On the other hand, you know. Two people bought some book sets there, by the way, which really was a major help. Yeah, that was it cool. covered some immediate bills I had yeah, uh, cool. for stuff for the show. So Yeah, you know what was interesting was the... Um, uh, was the housekeeper? I think I mentioned this. The housekeeper, Bob. Did you say it on the show? I can't no, remember if you mentioned our audience. We were out there. I, 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 you know, for those who were there and were really in the know, they noticed that I was extremely under the weather. And uh, yeah, you uh, were like Walking Dead. Yeah, and except and, you weren't biting people or anything. No, and I would. I was frequently getting up and leaving in the middle of presentations, to, mainly to go and sit in the corner and take a nap, mm-hmm. or to you know to. Got a little cry in the corner. Yeah. And um, yeah. this housekeeper came walking in, and she says, oh, hey, what's all this? And I explained kind of what was going on as best I could. Mm-hmm. And she said that she was in a religious studies program, yeah. and she was a Christian, and she hadn't heard any of this info, and she wanted to know what to get. And so um, uh, she ended up walking away with two uh, two Andrew Hoffman books and a couple of Chris Pinto DVDs. Wow. And she said... Sure, that was interesting. That and was then so I awesome s- that you did that. Even though you felt horrible, you took the effort to reach out to somebody like that. And yeah, not say, well, oh, they're a little lackey hotel staff, you know, who they matter, you know. Yeah. Not knowing what she was really doing. Underway. I can tell you, I go to a lot of Christian conferences where they treat them like trash. Well, that's too bad. You know what was interesting? She was there at the baptism. Like, like really? what's going on here? Really? <laughs> yeah. Did you talk to her there? I didn't get a chance to. She was yeah. kind of standing in the corner just sort of yeah. checking it out. and yeah. You know, that had to make an impression on her. And if you're listening, I wish we had a future quick card to give you. If somehow you found out about us and you're listening, uh, drop us an email. We'd like mm-hmm. to find out what's going on with you. That'd be cool. And I hope all those people who we kicked out of the pool during the baptisms were okay about that. Yeah, we drowned one, but it's cool. Well, it's okay. Well, <laughs> give them a tract. You know. Okay, we're ready for, unless you got some announcements. I don't, I don't have any news. announcements other than the goofy one I made earlier. Okay. So, um... Everything going okay with you, uh, Team Man? Oh, you know. It is. It's always the same. Yeah. Always the same thing. Like all the other Futurians. Constantly pushing the ball uphill every week. Yeah. 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 I understand. Hey, you want to start with the story? Uh, I do. And it's not really a story, but it is is something that uh, somebody forwarded to me, and nobody's really written about it. Uh, I haven't checked it out. Maybe somebody has, but it could be something, could be nothing. And this is... The U.S. government apparently is printing uh, 350,934 national detainee handbooks, and they absolutely have to have How many again? 350,934. 
So oh. they didn't want to have 350 or 351. 934. Okay. Yeah. So they got a precise head count, basically. Yeah. Absolutely. Maybe our bed count, bunk <laughs> count. Could be. Yeah. Um, anyway, but they absolutely have to have them printed by the 29th of April. The No, this 29th. Um, I have another story. All this ends up that it did Harvard Homeland Security has that same kind of deadline working for another exercise they're doing. The 29th? Well, it's the end of end of the month. Oh wow! For a major okay. natural disaster. So I'll just I'll just read the um I mean I'll just read it. It was only up it was only up there uh, for a little while. I had to kind of do a do a really a, a nerdy search and then uh, use the Google Cache feature. Congratulations! And uh, I found it. Yep. Hey, by the way, on this, mm-hmm. did you ever see a story that somebody did where they went to the detainment centers for uh, Katrina? They were up in Oklahoma. No. They actually found detainment centers for people to stay, and they took pictures, and they drove through and interviewed people. It was one of the creepiest things. I don't know if probably some of our listeners saw it, too. It was one of the creepiest things I ever saw in my life, where they showed places where you, you couldn't. They, this man and, and his either mother or sister were bringing food from their church, and they wouldn't let them bring it in because if you couldn't give the identical thing to everybody, nobody could have it. So all of these food and goods were being turned away from people that were being detainees there. I don't maybe, I don't know if it was a hoax or not. I don't know, but wow. it was pretty well. Sorry, it just remind, I thought of that when you started. No, this. no, that's that's interesting information. Anyway, this comes from the U.S. Government Printing Office, and here's okay. kind of the highlight. Uh, anybody who's interested, they can check it out. It's jacket number seven three five dash four one two. Uh, or uh, it's that's the English version. The Spanish detainee handbook would be seven three five four one three. It was posted at ten a.m. Uh, prevailing Chicago, Illinois time on April eighteenth. Uh, the product that they need is a paste-on-fold self-cover pamphlets, both in Spanish and English. Uh, the national and it's called the National Detainee Handbook. Uh, and then the the quantity two hundred and twenty-one thousand. Uh, in English, and 735 or 129,000 uh, in Spanish. And they, the ship deliver date must, and it's in capital letters, deliver complete honor before April 29th, uh, 2011. And so that. And it was a for, for what? Does it give more description about what it is? It just is? says the National Detainee Handbook. It doesn't say what the National Detainee Handbook is. Uh, but they need 350,000 of them, and they absolutely have to have them by April the 29th. So this could, who knows, who knows, this could be serious. This could just be, another, you know, if there was a phone number a for it, I had a little small business that I used to do, like, you know, government contracts, and I was part of their system. I could go and apply and ask for more information if you have a number to contact. We'll write her down, and we'll see yeah. what we can find out. i got to go find out what, they have, like, little... Business numbers for your business. Mm-hmm. I don't even remember what mine is anymore. I haven't been working for the man for a while, but it might open the door for me to find out more. Yeah, maybe they could. Maybe you could get a, a request. A couple of them. Write your social security down because I'm going to tell them that I'm Tom Bionic and give social security number. <laughs> like, oh well, you're at the top of the list. I'm here. You'll be receiving one of these shortly anyway. I'm here to stop you. <laughs> Wow. Anything else you have on that? No. So that's all. That's all that's I have. The that and the, here's the contact info that Thank I got. Thank you. Well, I'll see if I can get going on that. So there you have it. That's okay. um, not really a story, but a very, very interesting piece of information, potentially. Uh, well, in a matter of a couple of weeks, 
It's going to be We're a very see. interesting story. Yeah. Uh, would you like me to share a little bit? Hit it. Uh, you know, I know I've been a little bit of a rut, listeners. I apologize. It sort of reflects from my brain is going right now, and I have a couple weirdness stories in here, but just just haven't been feeling like the the weirdness thing's been the main the main push lately. Um, Glenn Beck's been in the news so much. I I don't know how many of you all caught this. Uh, one of our listeners sent this to me, and then I started looking it up online, and then Infowars finally had something on there. Uh, in fact, Infowars it has uh, Glenn Beck dons Freemasonic patch during broadcast. Uh, it says it was Whoa. on Friday, April 1st program, but it was no joke. Glenn Beck, who has announced he will leave Fox News, was blatantly wearing a Masonic emblem over his gray sweater, quite a conspicuous clothing accessory. Uh, it says here included is the imagery of a Mason's compass, a skull, a scroll and a pen, and a date that appears to be 1861 or 1862. It's unclear. Hmm. Uh, the first, a possible reference to the year Freemason William Penn founded the Philadelphia, uh, later the first capital of the United States in Pennsylvania. Uh, although, you know what, I looked up those cities and I never saw this particular emblem on any of their emblems for the hmm. it all state could be or some city. Goofy, trumped up thing or. And it says the second, a possible reference to the founding of La Petite Resurrection de Templars, uh, a licentious society that was a spin-off to Masonic circles in France. In fact, I looked up in an encyclopedia of Freemasonry, and they talked about this group. It was some scandalous Freemasonry group. And it says that their members supposedly wore concealed on their shirts a decoration in the form of a cross on which was embossed the figure of a man trampling on a woman who lay prostrate at his feet. Hmm. And the question is, why would Beck choose this apparel? Is it an obscure reference to colonial founders or a tip-off that his allegiances lie with the secret society elites who have long-wielded power? It says uh, Beck wears this emblem during his broadcast while hyping Islamophobia and wider Mideast war. Glenn Beck has previously been sporting a skull and bones cummerbund, also a Masonic symbol. A cummerbund? I've, I've seen a picture of it. It has a big skull and crossbones on it. It says it is a little different than Arnold Schwarzenegger, David Rothschild, and many others wearing such symbols while posing for magazines or other media. An act of flaunting their inclusion... Uh, in elite circles and secret societies over the ignorant public who are not meant to understand. And um, one of our listeners who sent this to me sent the picture, and I thought, man, that's going to be Photoshop because it was this huge thing. Yeah, I got, right I on, got, you saw it. I got that. Maybe you forwarded. Yeah, it probably did. Yeah. Huge thing on his chest. Uh, and then I went, and there was a click to the video. There was a place where you could actually see the uh, show. And I, well, sure enough, it wasn't photoshopped. He was right there. He's wearing Watching it, yeah. it on the show. Mm-hmm. I mean, this huge thing with this Masonic compass and the skull and crossbones and stuff like that on it. You don't normally see that on a normal, you know, I don't think Charles Krauthammer I've seen wear that, you no. know, or Brick Hume or anybody like that. Well, they're usually wearing a jacket. Oh, they got it over it. Yeah. Okay. So, um, can, can I share a little follow up on Beck? Sure. I don't want to cut uh, you. No, I love this. I love this story because I think I know it's the one. I just figure while we're on read. Beck time here, okay? Yeah. Uh, no, this is not the one you're thinking of. I'll get to that one later. This was uh, Beck at the Chicago Theater, and this is from a Chicago magazine called The Theater. It was basically a review of him there. It says Beck 2.0 is a preacher man, not not a right wing pundit. This is from April 15th. Um, he says, I really believe Chicago is the nicest city in America, grinning Glenn Beck said from the stage of the town's namesake theater Thursday night. Now, if we could just get rid of all the commies and progressive, we'd be set. <laughs> he 
He says, that stuff is red meat for his demographic, and Beck knows it. He obliged with a quick endorsement of his 2012 dream team, Alan West for president and Michelle Bachman for vice president and Rand Paul, secretary of the treasury. He proffered his fervent declaration that he would rather scoop his eye out with spoons than join in one of the fundraisers for President Barack Obama, who he called a Marxist, that was taking uh, in the same town in the Chicago theater. Um, but he says, but Beck's heart didn't seem to be in that stuff anymore. If Thursday night's mighty strange and thoroughly fascinating show revealed anything, it's that Beck is moving away from the political arena and toward the religious realm, albeit one of his very singular definition. The open question is how many of his followers from the Fox News channel are ready to make the same journey. Of course, this gets my ear up mm -hmm. on this. Okay. Um, Beck, uh, a far smarter man than many realize, clearly knows that it will be a tricky transition economically and otherwise, and that it will require all his considerable charm and force of personality. But you sense that Beck has now decided that it must be done. Come hell or high water, he doesn't want to be a pundit so much as a preacher. Uh, he says, I had a feeling that a great chance was coming for me, he said. Clearly not just referring to his recently announced departure from Fox. So I guess if he was like a preacher and a pundit, together they'd be pungent. Huh. <laughs> okay, that was, that was horribly uh, foolish. <laughs> Beck has, he told us, been spending time with with the Reverend Billy Graham. Okay. Uh, in his two, and I'm sure two peas in a pod. In his two-hour show... One hour of yak back yakking most extemporaneously in one of his most mostly taking pre-selected questions from the audience. Beck spoke much of God's purpose and human sin, although he did not tellingly mention the name of Jesus Christ. But, you know, you, it, I could see you wouldn't find time to mention Jesus, mm -hmm. you know, in a religious meeting like that. He says, you don't have a single right, Beck told a rather perplexed audience, clearly very much interested in precisely those privileges of American citizenship. He says, they belong to him, pointing skywards. There is an overarching plan that started with Adam and Eve. We were supposed to be the guardians, but instead we reached for the apple. It's very interesting. That sounds very says, political. Yeah. yeah. And so the revival meeting continued. There is a gate, a very small gate, Beck said. Your soul has to get through. Guard that gate first. You think it's hard now? Do you know what hell is? The reaction was varied. A few amens, a few nods, a few worried looks. The looks got even more worried when Beck declared himself to be a vegan, albeit for health reasons. He says, I can't continue to do the chalkboard thing and say, look, it all ends with George Soros, Beck said in the second half of his show, fighting back tears, or a facsimile thereof. But somebody has to be the watch. The t tears continued to flow as Beck said, in essence, that he was an unworthy vessel for this new calling. And he says, we are moving rapidly, he said, sobbing. I don't know how to do what I'm supposed to do. I'm a DJ. All I've ever been is a DJ, figuring it out as I go along. I don't want to do the job I'm doing now. I don't want to do this job that's coming. Beck has, of course, long been untroubled by self-contradiction. He says, it's time for the world to stand as one, he said at one point, despite having observed earlier that he did not give a rat's butt about how the world feels about something. He attacked New York, even as he described dining in one of its fine restaurants, with a chalkboard. He said he has simply uh, astonishing ability to snap in and out of his reveries, 
At one moment, he seems consumed by a higher calling. The next, he's cracking jokes with his staff. Uh, he hypes his new website, The Blaze, as the moral guardian of all that's good and right and the last defense against evil. See, I would have probably put that, like, with God or something. I don't know. I don't know. Apparently. Well, it's, that's what he says. It says, and yet, he promotes the site by having a staffer pop out on stage dressed up in a flame with big jazzy hands. Uh, and it says, you could see Beck as an earnest fellow with a big following who has now found new purpose and wants to carry his people with him in a spiritual ride. You could see his shtick as a sales job by a wealthy member of the media elite who knows he is to hang on to his personal brand. Uh, you could see him as a master of good old all-American flim-flammery. He's a bit of all these things. Mm-hmm. So, um... I anyway. like the one where, where where him and Huckabee traded barbs. Well, we're gonna we'll get to that one. Okay. The reason I bring this up is I had another one too on this and I can't find. Basically, he's going into some kind of strange er direction <laughs> in yeah. religion, and mm-hmm. he sees it and he's preparing everybody for it. And I think it's worth all our futurians keeping an eye. Sure. If you all find some more data on this, send it to us and we'll pass it on to everybody. Yep. Okay. All right. Well, we're gonna get into the. Uh, the secret memo, uh, state secret, state secret section of Future Quake here. I always seem like I get at least one there. Um, do you want to hear about how the U.S. secretly backed the Syrian opposition, or do you want to hear about how the secret memos, how in Britain secret memos exposed the link between oil firms and the invasion of Iraq? I think that one's very important. All right, all right. Here we go. This is via the Independent. In fact, that was in my list, and I'm formally taking out of my list. Oh shoot! We we overlapped. Wow. Great minds think alike. Uh, well, I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> so do small ones, though, unfortunately. That's right. Um, plans to exploit Iraq's oil reserves were discussed by government ministers and the world's largest oil companies the year before Brit took a leading role in invading Iraq, government documents show. The papers, revealed here for the first time, raised new questions over Britain's involvement in the war, which divided Tony Blair's cabinet and was voted through only after his claim that Saddam Hussein had weapons of mass destruction, which, of course, we found were false. Right. Uh, the, minutes, the minutes of a series of meetings between ministers and senior oil executives, executives are at odds with the public denials of self-interest from, West, from oil companies and Western governments at the time. The documents were not offered as evidence in the ongoing Shilkat uh, I don't know if I said that or not, Chilcot inquiry into the U.K.'s involvement in the, in the Iraq war. In March 2003, just before Britain went to war, Shell denounced reports that it had held talks with Downing Street about Iraqi oil as highly inaccurate. BP denied that it had, that it had any strategic interest in Iraq, while Tony Blair described the oil conspiracy theory as the most absurd. Hmm. Uh, many of those are quotes, by the way. Uh, But documents from October and November the previous year paint a very different picture. Five months before the March 2003 invasion, Baroness Siemens, uh, then the trade minister, told BP that the government believed British energy firms should be given a share of Iraq's enormous oil and gas reserves as a reward for Tony Blair's military commitment to U.S. plans for regime change. Maybe I should read that again. Baroness Siemens then the trade minister told BP that the government believed British energy firms should be given a share of Iraq's enormous oil and gas reserves as a reward for Tony Blair's military commitment to U.S. plans for regime change. Um, the papers show that Lady Simmons, 
uh, agreed to lobby the Bush administration on BP's behalf because the oil giant feared it was being locked out of deals that Washington was quietly striking with U.S., French, and Russian governments and their energy firms. Minutes of a meeting with BP Shell and BG, that's formerly British Gas, uh, on, 31st, on the 31st of October 2002 reads, Baroness Simmons agreed that it would be difficult to justify British companies losing out in Iraq in that way if the UK had itself been a conspicuous supporter of the US government throughout the crisis. The minister then promised to report back to the companies before Christmas on her lobbying efforts. The Foreign Office invited BP on, in on, six, on the 6th of November 2002 to talk about opportunities in Iraq post-regime change, re, regime change. Its minutes state, Iraq is the big oil prospect. BP is desperate to get in there and anxious that political deals should not deny them the opportunity. After another meeting, this one in October 2002, uh, the Foreign Office's Middle East director at the time, Edward Chaplin, noted, Shell and BP could not afford not to have a stake in Iraq for the sake of their long-term future. We were determined to get a fair slice of the action for UK companies in a post-Saddam Iraq. Whereas at the time, BP was insisting in public that it had no strategic interest in Iraq. In private, it told the Foreign Office that Iraq was, quote, more important than anything we've seen for a long time, unquote. So what you're saying is they lied to the public. Sure. They well, lied to them. They, they both are lying. The, the the government and the office. I thought it was just the pinko commie left that was making those crazy claims that it was all about oil. You're not saying that they could have been maybe right this one time. Maybe you? just once, but don't get your don't get all flipped out about it. You know, it's just yeah, it's just because thousands of people lost their lives and yeah, a million Iraqis. You know I mean? Yeah, I've actually got a video up here. I wish I could show our Futurian that the. Uh, U.S. troops are firing on Iraqi detainees through a chain-link fence. Uh, it's like fish through a barrel. Pretty a much, barrel. yeah. They were uh, there. There's a chain-link fence, and then there's an inner chain-link yeah. fence, and uh, then the Iraqis. There's like kind of like these Quonset hut-looking barracks mm-hmm. things, and they've yeah. put up some. They've put up some. Uh, uh, um, uh, some rope and mm-hmm. hung like some curtains so people can't mm-hmm. see them from the outside. And the uh, the government uh, the government troops there the U.S. government mm-hmm. troops are are sticking their M16s through the uh, chain link fence and firing uh, into the thing and then one at one point some dude lobs a hand grenade into the uh, enclosure there and uh, you hear all these people screaming and stuff and they're ah! and then the cameraman says man that was a good one it's right here now. Basically, these are detainees. Mm-hmm. You read a story earlier that we're getting a bunch of detainee brochures made mm-hmm. in English and Spanish, of which, if they were being sent to Iraq, I wouldn't think Spanish would be the main thing you would use those for in Iraq, right? I'm sure that I'm sure that they're for something completely different. Okay. I'm sure that they're. I'm sure because they're being planted in printed in English, they're for yeah. North Koreans or something. Yeah, uh, maybe Portugal, maybe. Otherwise, yeah. they say Portuguese. Shoot. Yeah. Uh, so, I wonder if this is like training over there for our troops to do something here, like the group at Fort Stewart that that we were told when they spoke in Army Times mm-hmm. that they were going to take the techniques they used in Iraq and use them here by their own admission. I'm sure that it's um sure that it's some other thing. You know, something else I read further on that same story was that I, 
unless I somehow missed that when you read it, was that um, the existing contracts were by a group called Elf Total. It was a French firm mm. that had the contracts, which, you know, the French had a long relationship with the Rock. Yeah. Um, and amazingly, French were the main ones not wanting to do the invasion, if you remember. Mm. Yeah. That stood in the way. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like these concerns were not over weapons of mass destruction or any threats or whatever. Mm-hmm. It was basically a battle of these European nations in America over who keeps the oil contracts. Yeah. Well, what's what's fascinating about this is that um, uh, in all the research I did on the on the uh, um, overthrow, overthrow of the Shah there in mm-hmm. 53 in Iran, yeah. uh, Operation Ajax, one of the things that really precipitated the political split which led to uh, Britain trying a coup and then having it fail, and then going mm-hmm. to the United States and trying another one, right. was the fact that uh, I believe it was FDR actually struck uh, uh, FDR, and then later Eisenhower like upheld it. Uh, Eisenhower and Truman, mm-hmm. they all kind of upheld it. Was like a 50-50 deal with the uh, the Saudis, and uh, they said, well, you know, we'll you know we'll just split the profits half 50-50. And the Iranians went, what? Because mm-hmm. <clears throat> they were getting paid 16% mm-hmm. on uh, a 16% royalty and providing, I believe, all the labor. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it's and their the Saudis oil, their are labor. The, and the Iranians are going at it right now. And the U.S. is supporting the Saudis as for working Bahrain, mm-hmm. going in there, and the Saudis are trying to get. In fact, what I was reading in Debka mm-hmm. that the Saudis are upset at the Israelis, that the Israelis haven't attacked Iran yet. And they're saying now the Saudis believe that they're going to have to do it because the Israelis didn't. Funny. It is a crazy messed up world. Yeah. And it's nothing like what we hear in the news. Sure. No kidding. Except on Future Quake. Yeah. Well, I dug out that story if you want to hear the one that you were... Lay it on okay. me. Okay. Uh, your stuff is like earth shattering of the world. And oh, yeah. And yours is just so pedestrian. Well, this oh, is stuff gosh. about some guys, in you know, around us that are causing me some fits. Um Back to the Beck thing, since you wanted to hear it. I hate to be a broken record here. Beck calls Huck progressive. Talking about Huckabee. Huckabee mm-hmm. calls Beck an idiot. This is on Right Wing Watch. It just came out today. <laughs> okay. During his radio program yesterday, Glenn Beck called Mike Huckabee progressive for daring to support First Lady Michelle Obama's anti-obesity campaign. Now, you know, Huckabee used to be really obese. Oh, really? He went on this great big yeah, weight loss plan, so he's been oh. big on that. He says, now, anyone who knows anything about Beck knows that for him, calling someone progressive is not a compliment. Mm-hmm. And so today, Huckabee fired back and openly mocked Beck as an inept, delusional conspiracy theorist who has no idea what he's talking about. Now, I'd like to mention, my my experience of seeing Huckabee over the last few years mm-hmm. is that for a Baptist minister by background... Mm-hmm. Uh, he sounds very, very cordial on his show on Huckabee, mm-hmm. but when you get him in a corner, he gets nasty. Yeah, I mean he gets intensely scary, nasty. There's been a number of incidents with Huckabee, really, like that. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh, he got he got that upset with Ron Paul, and Ron he was saying some nasty stuff about him, and this you know, and then it relates to one of the responses Ron Paul said from from the old book, uh, "It Can't Happen Here," mm-hmm. when he said, "When fascism comes to town, it'll be waving a flag and carrying a Bible." And I Whoa. got him all worked up. I bet it did. Upton Sinclair's famous old quote. Mm-hmm. Anyway, here's here's what Glenn Beck, uh, what Huckabee had to say about Glenn Beck. This week, Glenn Beck has taken to his radio show to attack me as a progressive 
which he said is the same as a cancer and a Nazi. I guess he took that in a bad way. Well, He says, what did I do that apparently caused him to link me as a fatal disease and a form of government that burned millions of innocent Jews? I had the audacity, not of hope, but the audacity to give respect to the efforts of the First Lady Michelle Obama's Let's Move campaign to address childhood obesity. I'm no fan of her husband's policies for sure, but I've appreciated her efforts that Beck misrepresented, either out of ignorance or out of deliberate attempt to distort them, to create yet another boogeyman hiding in the closet that he and only he can see. Great. So I guess Glenn Beck's just been doing boogeyman with all these things, mm-hmm. okay? Uh, okay. The First Lady's approach is about personal responsibility, not the government literally taking candy from a baby's mouth. He seems to fancy himself as a prophet of sorts for his linking so many people and events together to describe a massive global conspiracy for pretty much everything. Obviously, he's not the conspiracy crowd I'm taking, Huckabee. No, he's not a future quick listener, I uh, imagine. Sadly, he seems equally inept at recognizing the obvious fact that children are increasingly obese and that we now see clinical evidence of diseases in children that as recent as 20 years ago were found only in adults, such as type 2 diabetes. The costs to our nation are staggering in increased health care expenses, but it even increases national security with 75% of men ages 17, 24, unfit for military service due to obesity. And that's the main concern because we need to we need to conscript a whole lot of them for the next big war. Mm-hmm. So we can't have obese kids we need to send off to catch a bullet for us, you know. I don't know why that's so bad because they'll catch more bullets. You know, they're, they're well, bigger. If they, well, they have to make it more lax rules. Yeah. You know, so just make bullets tumble. His ridiculous claim that John McCain and I collaborated and conspired in the 2008 campaign is especially laughable. Is he not aware that McCain and I were competitors, not cohorts? Beck needs to stick to conspiracies that can't be so easily debunked by facts. Why Beck has decided to aim his overloaded guns on me is beyond me, but he ought to clean his gun and point more carefully lest it blow up in his face like it did this time. So... Beck probably said something sort of stupid about, you know, something bad about supporting anti-obesity. But, boy, mm-hmm. you better not cross Huckabee or he'll he'll sound like everything else but a minister. Uh, can I make a few last little Hucka comments here? My two little quickie paragraphs. Okay. Well, and then, I'll, then it'll be Huckabee retirement after that, okay? Because <laughs> these are just so interesting. Uh, this is awesome because I saw these also at Right Wing Watch, too, and I just found they'd be interesting for... Mm-hmm. Because I, I, to me, it's important to keep an eye on Huckabee because he's probably going to be a big factor in the next few years mm-hmm. in the election. It says, uh, Huckabee, not Beck, turned Barton into a Fox TV star. Okay, on Right Wing Watch. Uh, talking about David Barton. When our colleague Peter Montgomery was on The Last Word with Lawrence O'Donnell earlier this week, talking about our new report on David Barton, one of the questions O'Donnell asked was what influence Barton would have now that Glenn Beck's Fox program is going off the air. As Peter explained, Barton might seem like some kind of fringe figure that only Glenn Beck fans care about, but the truth is is that Barton's influence is much deeper than that, as he is widely believed to be one of America's greatest historians by leaders in the religious right movement and GOP presidential hopefuls alike. I don't think uh, Chris Pinto would be part of that list. You never know. In fact, attributing Barton's influence to his ties with Glenn Beck misrepresents the extent of Barton's reach because it is clear that Beck uh, picked up on Barton's work because he was so prominent among the religious right. We wrote our first report about Barton back in 2006. 
And just to demonstrate that point, let us point out that Beck did not team up with Barton until early 2010, and didn't have him on his television program until the first time until April of that year. But back in August 2009, Mike Huckabee hosted him on his Fox television program, where he gushed over Barton's expertise and gave him free reign to spread his pseudo-history. Uh, Beck may have made Barton slightly more famous and probably more wealthy, but he's been spreading his lies for years and will continue to do long after Glenn Beck is gone. Now, wasn't it last week I shared about how um, he was on um, oh, what's the Comedy Central uh, show, uh, the news show? Uh, not the Colbert Report. The no, the one. other one. Uh, Dave Stewart? Yeah. Uh, John Stewart. John Stewart. Yeah, uh, The Daily Show. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you remember how... Uh, uh, Huckabee fell on his sword for David Barton defending him, yeah, and he tore him up. I mean, he, he he tore up Huckabee, and he was trying to help Huckabee get out of it, and Huckabee wouldn't. He wouldn't betray his lining up with David Barton. Well, here's this last thing on David Barton. Uh, we'll be done. Mm-hmm. David Barton refuses to debate his bogus history. Same uh, source, right wing watch. One of the things that has allowed David Barton to so successfully peddle his pseudo-history for so long is that he tends only to appear in friendly venues where the host and audience eat up his bunk and never challenge him on his claims. I think there's a little commentary in this article. So. Interesting. In all yeah. our years of tracking him, we have never seen him appear in a situation where he might actually be questioned about the assertions that he makes by someone who actually knows what they're talking about. For the last week or so, Warren Throckmorton, an associate professor of psychology at Grove City College, has been writing a series of blog posts about Barton and some of the claims that he has made about Thomas Jefferson. Not surprisingly, most of Barton's claims have turned out to be utterly misleading, if not outright false. Yesterday, radio host Paul Edwards sought to bring Barton and Throckmorton together on his radio program to debate these issues, but, you know, and we've invited David Barton on too. Indeed, yes. And originally said they were going to do it, and then he backed out. Um, He says, but, as Edwards revealed, Barton was willing to appear but unwilling to debate and insisted on talking only to Edwards. Uh, He says, this is why I wanted to have the two of you on together, but, in the interest of full disclosure, Mr. Barton, at least his administrative assistant, told us that he would not do that. And it would be better to have the two of you having this conversation instead of me being a mediator, because it's very difficult for me to mediate between these two opinions. Barton knew that Throckmorton was also going to be on the program and that Throckmorton was well-informed enough to push back against Barton's misinformation. So if he is so confident that his history is accurate, why, uh, why would Barton refuse to debate the person challenging his claims? Why would Barton insist on only talking only to Edwards, who admits that he does not know enough about this issue to adequately challenge Barton's claims? Uh, oh, wait, that's why Barton was structuring it this way. To Edwards' credit, he did push back on Barton's assertions and take issue when Barton tried to claim the differences between his claims and Throckmorton's were, were largely semantic. So, hmm. he's not going away either. David Barton will, as long as Huckabee's around, yeah. they're going to be in and, and Liberty University and the Awakening and those kind of things. Yeah. Okay, sad. enough of that. It's just sad. You know, people don't care, and they're just like, oh, my gosh, we've got to get him. Yeah. Our fellow American Christians are the ones keeping them <clears throat> supported. Mm-hmm. Um, this thing just came across my screen. Uh, supporters of WikiLeaks uh, soldier heckle Obama at a fundraiser. That's an interesting hmm. thing. Um, we won't read that, though. We'll just, okay. we'll just leave that out there as a teaser. Now for something completely different. <laughs> U.S. secretly backs Syrian opposition. Uh, this is from Reuters. The State Department has secretly 
funded Syrian opposition groups according to diplomatic cables released by WikiLeaks, the Washington Post reported on Monday. The cables show that the State Department has funneled as much as $6 million since 2006 to a group of Syrian exiles to operate a London-based satellite channel, Barada TV, and financed activities inside Syria, the Post said. Barada TV began broadcasting in April 2009, but has ramped up operations to cover the mass protests in Syria that began last month as part of a long-standing campaign to overthrow Bashar al-Assad, the Post said. The U.S. money for Syrian opposition figures began flowing under President George W. Bush after political ties with Damascus were frozen in 2005. The financial backing has continued under President Barack Obama, even as his administration has sought to rebuild relations with Assad, the Post said. In January, the White House posted an ambassador to Damascus for the first time in six years. The article said it is unclear whether the United States was still funding Syrian opposition groups, but the cables indicate money was set aside at least through to September 2010. So the thing goes on, but that's sort of the, the bulk of it. Hmm. Um, so, like, lo and behold, all of this grassroots stuff, Syrian opposition, there it is. Alex Jones was talking today about all this, and mm-hmm. I saw a video that Brother Bob, one of our Futurians, who mm-hmm. he's, he's one of the uh, NRB 13... Uh, had, oh, yeah. had lunch uh-huh. with him today and had some f- fish burritos. Just, just a quick, a quick little twenty-minute, quick uh, three-hour one. Yeah. Um, he, he's he's busted a lot of stories out, and he showed me another video by Alex Jones, a little eight-minute video on Al Qaeda. Mm-hmm. And in addition to what I've been listening to him today, he, he's basically showing, you know, slam dunk that Al Qaeda has been on our payroll for forever. Mm-hmm. Has been a tool. Mm-hmm. for a lot of this false flag kind mm-hmm. of stuff for a long time, and that basically we totally support the idea that al-Qaeda is on the side of the people we're fighting right now, mm-hmm. and we're trying to get rid of these guys that are part not part of the banking system like Gaddafi and some of these other ones, mm-hmm. and I think Assad is probably in that category too. Mm-hmm. And so the gloves are off right now. Mm-hmm. Only people just don't want to see it. Um, this whole al-Qaeda thing was just a big whitewash. Yeah. They're basically a tool for the bankers and for, you know, the West to use mm-hmm. to be able to justify overthrowing countries. You know, you know what's interesting about that is I just got through watching a documentary where they alleged that al-Qaeda was nothing but a creation of, uh, you know, Western intelligence. Mm-hmm. And, you know, of course, uh, that's undeniably true back in the 70s and 80s, yeah. of course. But up till today, you know, people are like, well... Well, if they founded them, they founded them. Yeah. I mean, if you can prove it back then, then they founded them. <laughs> Well, one of the interesting things uh, was he kept on going to sort of look at the continuing involvement. And one of them, one of the things he showed is there's a very famous thing you see all the time on, like the CNN and BBC mm-hmm. and Fox News. And it's uh, it's Osama bin Laden walking around with a cane and about 15 right. dudes wearing camo with black mm-hmm. hoods and firing machine guns, AK-47s mostly in the air. All of those guys, except for Osama bin Laden, were paid to be there. Everybody admits that they were paid to be there. How do they know that? Who's who's admitting that? And uh, I don't know. They they revealed it in the documentary. They said that somebody, some reporter, talked to somebody, and uh, it came out in court documents because I guess they were trying to. Uh, I don't know the original source, yeah, but it yeah. came out in court documents, which is how the uh, how the how the thing how the the documentary knows because. They were trying to hold him, hold Osama bin Laden accountable for the bombing of the USS Cole and the uh, mm-hmm. embassy in Nairobi, and so they had to, they had to somehow link him to that thing, mm-hmm. and 
they couldn't they could find him but they couldn't find his organization so what they did is they said rather than rather than say well we can't find the organization so no organization exists we're saying that uh, here is our guy and his organization is so big and bad and gnarly that we can't find it and so it's like so secret and so amazing it's like super deep moles um and and that's essentially how they got the um uh, I, I believe they're called RICO proceedings, but it's the organized yeah. crime thing. Yeah. Uh, that's that's how they were able to largely progress with the organized crime um, uh, indictments uh, before September 11th. Wow. Yeah. That's a that was some pretty shocking stuff. I gotta say. Well, you know, our futurians. Hopefully, it's sunk in with them that we aren't debating this. But then. They're still debating some other kind of things, you know, from the emails I see that doesn't see how it all sort of fits together. But mm-hmm. our audience is more aware of this than most are. But yeah. um, this, I've got a story that sort of throws back to the earlier thing you were talking about, the uh, the detain. I think so. I think there's a connection. You remember mm-hmm. me talking about a few weeks ago about there was an order that I, I went to the U.S. government site where they place contracts. There was an order for meals ready to eat. Uh, MREs. MREs yes. mm-hmm. uh, there were several million of them that they were getting uh, for the New Madrid Fault area, uh, for that area for, I think, to keep something like 3 million, 7 million, I forget, something like that, people sustained for several weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, this is something else that just came out. Um, this was on thehill.com. Mm-hmm. The Hill is like sort of one of those insider Washington that all the pundits in the Beltway read. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hill.com says, White House readies U.S. shakeout to prepare citizens for earthquakes. The Departments of Homeland Security and Education are reaching out to millions of people in central U.S. states to get them to participate in an earthquake preparedness drill. By the way, those MREs, I think, had to be delivered by the end of April, too. (coughs) Yeah, yeah, gosh. Uh, This is an event called the Great Central U.S. Shakeout. Sounds like a big party, doesn't it? I mean, I picture yeah. go-go dancers in cages. Gonna party like it's 1999 yeah. with a big earthquake. Uh, Homeland Security Secretary Janet Napolitano and Education Secretary Arne Duncan are reaching out to areas in the Midwest that could be impacted by an earthquake along the New Madrid fault line. According to the event's website, more than 2.5 million people have committed to taking part in Thursday's drill. Can you imagine 2.5 million people that have somehow taken action to be part of this? Have you heard anything about that? No. Did you say just say half a million? Two and a half million. Two and a half million. That have actually said, hey, I want to participate in that. No, it's the first I've heard That's of a it. pretty high percentage of the public. That's no almost joke. 1% of the American public has said that we, we, we want to be part of a government drill. Okay, two and a half million people have committed to taking part in Thursday's drill in which participants will be told how to react in the event of an earthquake. Okay, participants, uh, let's see, it says Thursday. I don't know if it was today or a week from now. Um, I, I need to go try to find that website. Uh, participants are told to drop to the ground, take cover under something sturdy, such as a desk or table, and hold on to it until the shaking stops. Uh, I wonder if they're going to have like that TEPCO company from the Tokyo Power come provide guidance <laughs> for safety of people too, maybe. Um, it says it's critical that all members of the nation's emergency management team, including the federal government, state, local, and tribal officials, the private sector and the public are prepared, said Napolitano. Now, tribal officials, does that mean it's going to go over into 
Oklahoma? Yeah. Because that would be the closest that I would think. Uh, well, you never know. I don't know, maybe. Yeah. Um, anyway, um, this is Napolitano talking. She says, learning how to protect yourself and your loved ones in the event of an earthquake or other natural disaster is a vital life skill. And we are looking forward to working with schools, colleges, and our partners to strengthen the resiliency of communities across the central United States, she said. The White House is reaching out to schools in Alabama, Arkansas, Georgia, Illinois, Indiana, Kentucky, Mississippi, Missouri, Oklahoma, South Carolina, and Tennessee. Mm -hmm. The shakeout drill is an important exercise for parents, students, teachers, and school leaders across the country. And I hope it encourages more schools to develop, implement, and evaluate the emergency plans at Duncan. Nearly 200 years ago, a series of earthquakes along the New Madrid fault line, which I don't know if any of our listeners are not familiar with, it runs the primaries between fault, right? Memphis and St. Louis, basically, along yeah. the Mississippi River. It says uh, a series of earthquakes along it rippled throughout the United States, causing a vast shadow of destruction and disrepair. Now, this was before we really had anything built but, like, log cabins for the most part. Mm-hmm. It says, as adults, it's our responsibility to make sure students are prepared, both at home and school, for a possible emergency, said Duncan. That New Madrid Fault, I don't know if you knew about this. It's coming up. It was so big... It made the what the, the river run. The backwards. Mississippi ran backwards, and it actually made the bells in Philadelphia ring on the other side of the continent. Wow, that's a pretty good trimmer. That's a big one. Um, that's a big one. Now, would they be spending all the money to involve two and a half million people if it wasn't something they had a legitimate concern about? You think? Maybe they were causing it. Who knows? Well, let's link a bunch of conspiracy theories together. Mm-hmm. You know. And then those people, they all lose their house to earthquake. you got to have some place for them to live, right? Yeah. The other side to that, of course, too, is that property rights have been deemed, you know, with this whole mortgage, the whole yeah. thing on the mortgage, uh, there's been a couple of federal judges, at least at, you know, like state-level yeah. federal judges, have have said that they're, they essentially rule that property rights, nobody owns the property. So... Because it was filed incorrectly, and these people were paying on it. So they either get it free, or nobody owns the property. And they all went with, you know, nobody owns the property. So it's this things like in total limbo, and, um, you know, I, I, I keep hearing anecdotal stories when I go on to these mm-hmm. uh, uh, real estate real estate things. People will write in and be like, you know what happened? Like next door, uh, somebody got foreclosed on, and darn it if... You know, somebody like a foreclosure agency didn't come up and, you know, batten down the windows yeah. and stuff. And then uh, about six hours later, some company uh, doing the same thing came with papers in their hand to serve them. And mm. they were already gone and the thing was buttoned down. Mm. So nobody knows. So I don't know. I don't think this happened at all that much. But mm. the whole the whole idea is that property rights are in question. Yeah. So that would sure be interesting, wouldn't it? Hmm. Got a story for us, Mr. Bonnet? Oh, sure. China inflation and wage protest spread turn violent. Okay. Uh, This is interesting more for the commentary, I think. Uh, This is from Zero Hedge, one of my favorite places Mm -hmm. to hang out, um, at least to read stories. It's always got interesting stuff. Yesterday, we reported news that has so far received almost no media exposure, namely that thousands of striking truck drivers had poured into Shanghai's uh, why go Kwai zone? Got me. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> That's the equivalent of the Russian scientist names. <laughs> I yeah. would have liked a Russian scientist. Yeah. One of the city's busiest container ports, protesting over rising fuel prices and low wages. Today, Reuters 
we learn today via Reuters, we learn that this situation has escalated materially and progressing progressed into violence. A two-day strike over rising fuel prices turned violent in Shanghai on Thursday as thousands of truck drivers clashed with police, drivers said, in the latest example of simmering discontent over inflation. About 2,000 truck drivers battled baton-wielding police at an intersection near Kwai port, Shanghai's biggest. Uh, two drivers who were at the protest told Reuters, the drivers who blocked roads with their trucks had stopped work on Wednesday demanding the government do something about rising fuel costs, workers said. And while we have, turn, we have violent uprisings over austerity in Europe, now we have violent strikes over inflation in China? The question thus now is just how much longer will China continue to take massively ineffective steps such as the RRR and rate hikes, uh, both of which have been a tremendous failure in reigning in inflation? Of course. Uh, instead of picking up the nuclear, picking the nuclear option of revaluing the currency. And while many believe China may announce something along these lines over the weekend, uh, win thin, global head. <clears throat> what is this always happening when mm. I'm reading? And my voice always gets scratchy. Of emerging marketing strategy, extra, of emerging market strategy at Brown Brothers Harriman is not so sure and put the odds of a yuan, uh, yuan revaluation at 25%. Which could mean anything. Could mean that it's 25%, or it could mean that he just doesn't want to tell us, hmm. or whatever. Uh, with regards to currency policy, we are putting forth the following three possible possibilities along with odds. Um, you know, I can't criticize the Chinese too much because they're the main ho- owner of our treasury bonds, mm-hmm. and that's sort of like one of the main things that Mrs. Future and I have. Mm-hmm. So we may have to join the Chinese army <laughs> if time comes to defend our investment. So you're and a that's red mole. To criticize them. So who knew yeah. that Doctor Future was a red mole? I, in fact, I'm trying to get like a Nehru jacket or something that looks like Chairman Mao's pajamas. Yeah, there wear. you go. Yeah, there you go. I'm sorry. Proceed. Anyway, so the real question is: Is China ready to migrate from an export-led to a consumer-led model? Alas, of course, the answer is no. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Anyway, uh, as he goes on and updates, it turns out the strikes are now metastasizing to other cities. Um, one wonders why Chinese, why the Chinese living under an authoritarian regime are willing to engage in violent protests with far more dangerous personal consequences, while, um, while the American peasant con- continues to gladly accept $5 and soon $6 oil. Um, so any, anyway, the, they go on here and they, they conclude with, the good thing is that China now has hit its breaking point. Any inflation beyond current levels will only make matters worse. Mm-hmm. So the ball is in the Politburo's court. Unfortunately, as central, planners, as central planning does all too well, expect them to make the worst decision uh, for both China and the global economy. Um, so we've got all that going on. What do you think is going to happen? Well, this is it's interesting. Uh, I brought this up, and I knew you would ask me, what do you think is going to happen? Well, one of the things that I've noticed is that the U.S. dollar index uh, has been precipitously declining uh, against all the mm-hmm. other currencies it's measured against. And uh, uh, several people whom I respect immensely have said about $74, $74 is when things go haywire. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it, reached hay, it reached $74, and then here's this thing on China mm-hmm. where inflation, they're actually protesting violently in an mm-hmm. authoritarian regime. So 74 is... Uh, the U.S. dollar index below 70 is like 
things really get haywire. Mm -hmm. 74 is like, you know, you slipped on something and you haven't quite fallen. Mm -hmm. Below 70 is like you took a head first into the wall. Um, That plus the whole fact that, you know, our our credit rating was deemed uh, negative by, oh, who was it? One of those credit raging one of those credit rating agencies. Um, uh, we really see sort of like a perfect economic storm here. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, you know it's funny talking about inflation. Well, they were worried about inflation. Um, I sort of keep an eye on the consumer price index thing, which actually underreports inflation. Mm-hmm. But uh, the last uh, last year, they reported an average from average of the prior year to average of last year of one point six percent inflation. This year, I've just checked the first three months, it is up uh, at an annual rate of almost 8%. 8%, huh? And you know what they do about that. Well, and they they rig it so it doesn't look as high because they say, oh, well, computers are getting smarter, so they're really cheaper. Even if you pay the same price for a computer, you get more value. In the last few years, they've actually taken that idea. I think it was the the computing that really led led to this, quote, innovation, but... They found out that you could substitute – the idea was you could substitute goods. When one good gets more expensive, mm-hmm. you substitute a greater good uh, or mm-hmm. a less expensive good that you would somebody would likely substitute. So if you're Well, they presume buying, like steak. You mm-hmm. could say, oh, well, they'll buy more hamburger, so they didn't go as much. But when they do it the next year, if you're already eating hamburger that year, how do they judge inflation? Spam. It would have to be hamburger to hamburger then. Yeah. You know? Spam or – Because, you know, what goes around comes around. Road gravel. Zero some yeah. game. Uh, it's not looking good. No. Well, some of us on I'll, fixed I'll go out on a limb and wonder if um, wonder if we don't go to war with China here in the next really ten months. I, I I would say it's a definite possibility. Just be glad we don't live on the west coast. It's like oil here and oil here. China needs oil. They're a net oil importer, mm. right? As as we are. Yeah. So. Um, well. I mentioned I mentioned some time ago that uh, I had insider information on China because I collect slot cars, little electric racing cars. Uh-huh. And most of them are all made in China, and they were all delayed significantly because the factories cannot get coal fast enough. And oh. also the traffic jams, they haven't improved their highways enough, uh-huh. and so they can't get um, their trucks with coal through the traffic to keep the factories going. Wow. Well... That that makes this uh this article that I read about how they uh and it's got some great pictures here like essentially it's like they they took all the big rigs and parked them on all the major expressways yeah. and just yeah. left you know yeah well, they better get out of there before somebody shoots them yeah you know? uh, yeah a tank won't have a problem yeah. over right. those things you know right. so right wow it's interesting to see <laughs> interesting to see where this one goes well can I go back to our my continuing saga. Are you going to do another installment? Are you going to bang on Glenn Beck again? As the world turns. No, no you know, I've been going through this thing you've every really week. Got, you've really got like three sagas going. Well, it's those like, guys, I just have sort of a, like a the grudge Lord of the as a Christian trilogy. with them. <laughs> but uh, this is what I've been covering about the um, the whole thing about the Sharia law and who's the people doing all these documentaries. Oh, yes, and Frank that's Gaffney. a good saga. And the last few weeks I talked about the guy who was bankrupt. Part of it was this Aisha Torah, a Zionist group, paying uh-huh. for the doc, and they cover their tracks so you tr- can't find them. Mm-hmm. The other group was a billionaire guy, Richard Scaife, who was paying for it, mm-hmm. who had this young man commit suicide just in his building a few doors down from his office in the bathroom. Mm-hmm. Although they said that uh, he 
the police said that he shot himself through his head and it blew out the left side. And then the coroner later said that he shot himself in the roof of his mouth and the bullet lodged inside his head. So yeah. it's a little you, hard to you know you put shape. those two together. But we we read last week about his description of himself from his website, which people have been keeping running, and about how excited he was for the future at the time. This was in 1999. How he was planning to go to graduate school and had all these plans. Mm-hmm. So, you know, those are mostly the kind of people that commit suicide. They're ones that are planning to go to graduate school and have this vision for their future. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's what they said. And I started reading his manifesto that he had done, because mm-hmm. a lot of this ties back into some of the links uh, that that we talked about earlier in the story. So can I pick up where I left off last week? Please, sir. Some of this information may be familiar to some of our listeners, some of it may be new, but it's it's his attempt to tie the pieces together he'd been studying. He went over being a staunch right-winger uh, in the military in Berlin. Then he found out how guys we had supported had done the Berlin bombings mm-hmm. and other kind of stuff. He learned about the whole P2 things, the stuff you've been studying. Yeah. And that changed his view of things. So yeah. I found a great quote, by the way, since we're on that. Yeah. Uh, um, this guy named Richard Brenecki, mm-hmm. um, right out on uh, RAI News, which is Italian Italian band news, I guess. Yeah. Uh, he says, well, I was, the, I was the point man for funneling hundreds of millions of dollars to the P2 Masonic Lodge. And, uh, really? It was, uh, I could tell you the contact person. I've got the, still got the list of files. I made them as sort of insurance. Um, but yeah, and the guy says, well, that's a very serious accusation. He says, yeah, sure, but we used it for, you know, keeping the communists in order, but also for drug mm-hmm. smuggling. And, and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, it goes on the list, tons of other stuff. It's, They're it's, connected to the Knights of Malta, too. Uh-huh. Uh, I just got a new article, which I'll get to eventually. That talks about their connection to P2. Mm-hmm. Well, let me pick up where he lays off. He's talking about the CIA. We talked about how they recruited scientists and how they recruited the wealthy and well-to-do mm-hmm. people from Wall Street and stuff uh, in, into the CIA over time. Okay. He says, uh, blessed with secrecy and a lack of congressional oversight, CIA operations became corrupt almost immediately. Using propaganda stations like Voice of America and Radio Free Europe, the CIA felt justified in manipulating the public for its own good. Their, you know, their, their mission is intelligence, to find out what other people are doing, and now they're taking an active role in disinfo of our, their own people Yeah. Uh, for their own purposes. The bro- broadcasts were so patently false that for a time it was illegal to publish transcripts of them in the U.S. <laughs> Not that they have anything to hide. This was a classic case of a powerful organization deciding what was best for the people and then abusing the powers it had helped itself to. During the 1940s and 50s, most of the public was unaware of what the CIA was doing. Those who knew uh, thought that they were fighting the good fight against communism, like James Bond. Mm -hmm. However, they could not keep their actions secret forever, and by the 60s and 70s, Americans began learning about the agency's crimes and atrocities. It turned out the CIA has... Corrupted democratic elections in Greece, Italy, and dozens of other nations. Been involved to varying degrees in at least 35 assassination plots against foreign heads of state or prominent political leaders. Uh, successful assassinations included the democratically elected leaders like Salvador Allende of Chile mm-hmm. and Patrice Lumumba of Lumumba. the Belgian Congo. Yeah, John Stockwell said that he was there to do all that stuff. Really? And uh, he trained the guys who were driving around with Lumumba in, a, in their trunk and stuff. With, with American exceptionalism, which I just saw a book now that uh, um, uh, Newt Gingrich is writing on American exceptionalism, you have a right to do that because 
pretty much we have a right around the country to be the caretaker for the world. So, you know, mm-hmm. he, they needed killing. Also, CIA created dictators like Rafael Trujillo in Dominican Republic and Ng Dinh Dem in South Vietnam and popular political leaders like Che Guevara. Unsuccessful attempts range from Fidel Castro to Charles de Gaulle. Do you know they tried to kill de Gaulle? I do. Uh, we we've had a long history of meddling in in France, actually. Yeah, and uh, wonder why they're mad at us. Uh, helped launch military coups that de- toppled democratic governments, replacing them with brutal dictatorships or juntas. The list of overthrown democratic leaders include Mossadegh and Iran in '53, Arbenz and Guatemala in '54, Arbenz, yep, Velasco and Aramosina in Ecuador in '61, '63. Bosch in the Dominican Republic in 63, Golart in Brazil 64, Sukarno in Indonesia 65, Papandreou in Greece 65-67, yep. Allende in Chile 73, and dozens of others. Undermined the governments of Australia, Guyana, Cambodia, Jamaica, and more. Supported numerous dictators like General Pinochet in Chile, the Shah of Iran, Ferdinand Marcos in the Philippines, Papa Doc and Baby Doc Duvalier. Uh, in Haiti, General Noriega in Panama, Mobuto C. Seco, Zaire, and the reign of colonels in Greece, and more. Mm-hmm. I don't know why we should question the, the merits of the CIA with this great track record they have. Well, you're, you're, of uh, course, forgetting. Well, there's tons. Created, trained, and supported death squads and secret police forces that tortured and murdered hundreds of thousands of civilians, leftists and political opponents mm-hmm. in Guatemala. Alta Catal Battalion. Yeah. Uh, Honduras, El Salvador, Haiti, Bolivia, Cuba, Mexico, Uruguay, Brazil, Chile, Vietnam, Cambodia, Thailand, Iran, Turkey, Angola, and others. Did you mention Peru? Uh, I don't know. They were in there. Thanks for adding that to the yeah. list. Uh, helped run the School of the Americas at Fort Benning, Georgia, which trains Latin American military officers how to overthrow democratic governments. You know, that's only one of 257 schools we have that use non-English-only training for military people. Really? Yeah. One of 257. Uh-huh. I found that in a footnote of a book I was reading. <laughs> yeah. Subjects include the use of torture, interrogation, and murder. Used Michigan State professors to train DM's police, secret police on torture. Conducted economic espionage by running crops, disrupting industry, sinking ships, and creating food shortages. Paved the way for the massacre of 200,000 in East Timor, 500,000 in Indonesia, and 1 to 2 million in Cambodia. Launched secret or illegal military action or wars in Nicaragua, Angola, Cuba, Laos, and Indochina. Planted false stories in local media. Framed political opponents for crimes, atrocities, political statements, and embarrassments that they did not commit. Spied on thousands of American citizens in defiance of congressional law. Smuggled Nazi war criminals and weapons scientists to the U.S. unpunished for their use in the Cold War. Created organizations like the World Anti-Communist League, which became filled with ex-Nazis, Nazi sympathizers, Italian terrorists, Japanese fascists, racist Afrikaners, Latin American death squad leaders, CIA agents, and other extreme right-wing militants. Conducted MK Ultra, a mind-controlled program, which we've talked about here, that gave LSD and other drugs to Americans against their will or without their knowledge, causing some to commit suicide. Penetrated and disrupted student anti-war organizations. Mm-hmm. Kept friendly and extensive working relationships with the mafia. You know, Oswald, oh gosh, you know the guy who shot uh, the head of Italian, Italian counterintelligence in the 80s was a, uh, was a mafia hitman that the CIA paid to have him... You know, shot. And uh, I'm sure that couldn't happen with JFK or yeah. anything. Oswald, Oswald Le, Le Winter, a uh, CIA ITAC officer, 
who uh, later was denied by the CIA but still shows up in documents, uh, government documents in, this, in 1965, mm-hmm. 20 years before they denied he ever existed, um, was recruited, likely recruited. Uh, he hasn't spoken on it, but he said he was a student at this place where the CIA was recruiting, recruiting students to keep an mm-hmm. eye on dissident groups and then uh, recruited him into the NATO ITAC mm. um, Gladio framework. We should do a show on Gladio. Wow. Okay. It says, actively traded. This is CIA. continues part of their uh, Hall of Fame here. Actively traded in drugs around the world since the 1950s to fund its operations. The Contra crack scandal is only the tip of the iceberg. Other notorious examples, including Southeast Asia's Golden Triangle and Noriega's Panama, had their fingerprints all over the assassinations of John F. Kennedy, Robert F. Kennedy, Martin Luther King, and Malcolm X. Even if the CIA is not responsible for these killings, the sheer amount of CIA involvement in these cases demand answers, and then routinely lied to Congress about all the above. It says the Association for Responsible Dissent estimates that by 1987, 6 million people had died as a result of CIA covert operations. Uh, Former State Department official William Blum correctly calls this an American Holocaust. We should note that the CIA gets away with this because it is not accountable to democratic government. Former CIA officer uh, Philip Agee put it best. The CIA is the president's secret army. Prior to 1975, the CIA answered only to the president, creating all the usual problems of authoritarianism. You know, Philip Agee is a great is a great resource for a lot of this stuff. He says oh. in, in written testimony, or, or video testimony rather, he looks at the camera and he says, you know, I was having certain misgivings and then I wrote this, mm-hmm. I wrote this fake police report for the chief of police in Ecuador mm-hmm. and I gave it to him and I was sitting there and he was reading the report and I heard this moaning coming through the air conditioning just like, yeah. he, just, he, he said, quote, God-awful moaning coming, coming from yeah. over the, through the air conditioning system. And uh, he got a sinking feeling. He said, oh, boy, I, don't, I, I, know, yeah. I think I know what happened. And uh, uh, the chief of police congratulates him for, for having, just finding such good work mm-hmm. on, this gen- on this gentleman. And they asked him, uh, Aggie asked him, he says, what's, so what's all that moaning? He says, well, uh, on, because of this report, we picked up the guy and we put our most sadistic torturer in there. And he's been in there for a couple of hours now. And so from there, Philip Aggie uh, quit and mm-hmm. writes tell-all books. He now lives in Cuba because he got uh, he's been abducted from like thirteen wow. different countries. <laughs> yeah. Wow, I knew nothing about him. That's, he's an interesting that's pretty cat. Wild. Yeah. Wow. Well, let, let me, can I share a little bit more here mm-hmm. before I call it a day? Um, it's it, let's see here. Um, because the CIA activities were secret, the president rarely had to worry about public criticism and pressure. After the seventy-five church hearings. Congress tried to create congressional oversight of the CIA, but this has failed miserably. One reason is that the Congressional Oversight Committee is a sham filled with cold warriors, conservatives, businessmen, and even ex-CIA personnel. Hmm. Although many people think the CIA's primary mission during the Cold War was to deter communism, Noam Chomsky correctly points out that its real mission was deterring democracy. From corrupting elections to overthrowing uh, democratic governments, from assassinating elected leaders to installing murderous dictators, the CIA has virtually always replaced democracy with dictatorship. It didn't help that the CIA was run by businessmen whose hostility towards democracy is legendary. 
The reason they overthrew so many democracies is because the people usually voted for policies that multinational corporations didn't like. Land reform, strong labor unions, nationalization of their industries, greater regulation protecting workers, consumers, and the environment. Mm -hmm. So the CIA's greatest successes were usually more pro-corporate than anti-communist. Sure. Their overthrow of Guatemala, the guy who was in charge of that, as well as, I believe, E. Howard Hunt. I'd have to look that one up for sure. But there were two guys in charge of it. And uh, the lead guy, whose name escapes me, he says right on camera in a documentary I watched, he said, I was there working to help out the Guatemala fruit growers, Mm -hmm. the ones in the United States, that is. (laughs) Well, you know, General Smedley Butler said this was even before CIA existed. This is what he was sent to fight the wars in the Banana Republics is for United Fruit Company. Mm -hmm. Um, It says... uh, so the CIA's, uh, let me pick it up here, citing a communist threat, the CIA helped overthrow democratically elected uh, most, um, right, Mohammed Mossadegh government in Iran in 53. But there was no communist threat. The Soviets stood back and watched the coup from afar. Uh, what really happened was that Mossadegh threatened to nationalize British and American oil companies in Iran, as we've talked about. Consequently, the CIA and MS6 toppled Mossadegh and replaced him with a puppet government headed by the Shah of Iran and his murderous police, Sabak. The reason why Ayatollah Khomeini and his revolutionaries took 52 Americans hostage in Tehran in 79 was because the CIA had helped Sabak torture and murder their people. Uh, another success was the CIA's overthrow of the democratically elected government of Jacobo Arbenz in Guatemala in 54. Again, there was no communist threat. The real threat was to Guatemala's United Fruit Company, a Rockefeller-owned firm, whose stockholders included CIA Director Alan Dulles. I don't know if you knew that. I did know that. Uh, Arbenz threatened to nationalize the company, albeit with generous compensation. In response, the CIA initiated a coup that overthrew Arbenz and installed the murderous dictator Castillo Armas. Mm -hmm. For four decades, CIA-backed dictators would torture and murder hundreds of thousands of leftist union members and others who would fight for more equitable distribution of the country's resources. Another success story was Chile. In 1973, the country's democratically elected leader, Salvador Allende, nationalized foreign-owned interests like Chile's lucrative copper mines and telephone system. International Telephone and Telegraph, ITT, you know, you see a big uh, telephone company, offered the CIA $1 million to overthrow Allende. Mm -hmm. So you've got a company paying the CIA to do it. What was the name of it? International Telephone and Telegraph. ITT. ITT. Mm-hmm. They were the same people who um, who owned the, I can't remember the name of the hotel, but there was a huge massacre in 1977 during um, uh, the May Day Massacre in Turkey. Yeah. Uh, and the shooters came in. They, they, they stopped and opened up the, uh, uh, got rid of all the guests in the hotel three days before the, mm-hmm. the, the uh, um, demonstration. And then the day of the demonstration, a bunch of people came in that were unknown, set up on the fifth floor, and uh, then started shooting at the podium from the from the hotel. Yeah. All of the video evidence was lost, um, <laughs> and um, it turns out one of the shooters was a CIA agent, and the hotel was owned by ITT. Well, interesting. Yeah. Well, let me just wrap this up, and then I want to go to your stories here. I'm going to get to the last little bit here. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um. Okay. Uh, okay. The CIA allegedly refused the money but paid $350,000 to his political opponents. 
The CIA responded with a coup that murdered Allende and replaced him with a brutal tyrant, General Augusto Pinochet. Pinochet tortured and murdered thousands of leftist union members and political opponents as economists trained at the University of Chicago under Milton Friedman installed a free market economy. Since then, income inequality has soared higher in Chile than anywhere else in Latin America. Even when the communist threat was real, the CIA first and foremost took care of the elite. In testimony before Congress in the early 50s, it artificially inflated Soviet military capabilities. And, and I'm, I'm conceding that this is really what happened. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I'm conceding this is exactly what they're doing with the Islamic threat. Mm-hmm. That they see the same pattern they had before, okay? Yes. A notorious Agreed. example was the bomber gap that later turned out to be grossly exaggerated. In fact, what I will say is, of course, they didn't have the Internet in decades prior, but all the newsletters and everything from Christian circles said the same thing about communism back then that we hear now about the Islamic threat. The mm-hmm. same stuff. You know, they're going to conquer America. You know that movie I showed you about where it showed Castro conquering America? It's mm-hmm. a fascinating movie. Remember if, uh, if Footman Tire, what, what will horses, horses do? do? Yeah, one of the most amazing movies I've ever seen. Very, crazy, interesting. Yeah, it was a Christian film about when Fidel Castro took us over, mm-hmm. and that's the kind of furor that we have. Maybe we need to make a a version of that for the Sharia contract. <laughs> Wouldn't that be interesting? Yeah, do it the same genre and style. Um, anyway, um, if Conjars tell you, what will Sharia do? Yeah, what will the scimitars do? Uh, okay, a notorious example was the bomber gap that later turned out to be grossly exaggerated. Another was Team B, a group Team of... Team B is huge. Yeah. Right, that's right. We, I used, and Team B involves, uh, if it's the same Team B that I talked about, this guy who's the head of the Knights of Malta that's with Frank Gaffney and these other guys and General Boykin mm-hmm. that wrote the response to Sharia law. Hmm. Okay, but Team B, General Boykin was involved in that. Okay, a group of hawkish CIA analysts who seriously distorted Soviet military data. These scare tactics worked. Congress awarded giant defense contracts to the U.S. military-industrial complex. It is not even the fall of the Soviet Union and the demise of American defense contracts have stopped the CIA from serving the elite. Journalist Robert Dreyfus writes, Since the old of the cold, end of the Cold War... Washington has been abuzz with talk about using the CIA for economic espionage. This is since the Cold War. Mm-hmm. Okay, Stripped of euphemism, economic espionage means that American spies would target foreign companies, such as Toyota, Nissan, and Honda, then covertly pass stolen trade secrets and technology to U.S. corporate executives. You know, this becomes even more important since the government now owns General Motors. Mm-hmm. So now they have a vested interest for the government to have that. Mm-hmm. Um it says, if this isn't bad enough, a worse problem arises in that the CIA doesn't hand over this technology to every American auto-related company, but only the big three, Ford, only Chrysler, ones, General Motors. Only the ones it owns yeah. a stake in. Yeah. And if I can just wrap up a quote here, it says, uh, in a 1975 interview, ex-CIA agent Philip Agee summed up his personal observations of the agency. To the people who work for it, the CIA is known as the company. The big business mentality pervades everything. Agents, for example, are called assets. The man in charge of the United Kingdom desk is said to have the U.K. account. American multinational corporations have built up colossal interests all over the world, and you can bet your bottom that wherever you find a U.S. business interest, you also find the CIA. The multinational corporations 
want a uh, peaceful status quo in countries where they have investments because that gives them undisturbed access to cheap raw materials, cheap labor, and stable markets for their finished goods. The status quo suits bankers because their money remains secure and multiplies. And, of course, the status quo keeps the small ruling groups the CIA supports abroad because all they want is to keep themselves on the top of the socioeconomic pyramid and the majority of their people on the bottom. But do you realize what being on the bottom means in most part of the world? Ignorance, poverty, often early death by starvation or disease. It means eating about a half a cup of rice a day. Yeah. And to keep our standard of living, we've got to keep people there. Remember, the CIA is an instrument of the president. It only carries out policy. And like everything else, the president has to respond to forces in society he's trying to lead, right? In America, the most powerful force is big business. And American big business has a vested interest in the Cold War. So I'm going to leave it for there. Are you finding this interesting at all? I know it's a lot of old hat to you. Um, yeah, super interesting. Okay, it's I like, don't mean. It's like the thing that because it gets more interesting in the next few pages. I was going to say gonna it's, it's like the same. It's like the same conclusions I've been coming to, but I didn't have to shoot myself. Yeah, you know, or or having been suicided. Yeah. Okay, you got a story for us? Oh, man, there's so many. Lay it on us, bro. You know, I just when you read those things, I get all depressed and stuff. I'm gonna have to take some when you when you when you pull up that ongoing well, saga. I've done I'm my just gonna job have then. to eat some. I'm gonna have to eat a couple pills full of Mood Guard or something. You know, <laughs> Mood Guard. I've not yeah. heard of that. Oh, it's some some probably bogus over the counter thing they sell. It's hmm. called Mood Guard. Does it get some ayahuasca in it or something? I don't know, but anything to keep me keep me yeah. up. Um. Here's a twofer. Did I already do the thing about the Michigan police and the iPhones? Yeah. I did that? You sure? I thought, oh, maybe not. Maybe no, I thought I, did, I thought I did the Britain I'm, thing. Yeah, I'm sorry. Okay, well, I'll, I'll just do it real quick. Michigan police copying smartphone data during routine traffic stops. Uh, this is via Popular Mechanics, and I'll just read a paragraph here. In Michigan, the American Civil Liberties Unit has filed a complaint alleging that Michigan State Police officers used forensic cell phone analyzers to snoop and driver cell phones during routine traffic stops. Uh, PM talked to a Fourth Amendment expert to sort out through whether that whether that amendment's protections against illegal search and seizure should stop an officer from scanning your your phone. So there you go, right? The other article that yeah, now that basically this advanced technology. Is making us as individual citizens more vulnerable. Uh-huh. Uh huh. I saw that talking on TV. They were, they were, their draws, their jaws dropped when they realized that they were carrying around something to tell everybody every place they went. Well, you just read the headline of my next story. Oh, sorry. iPhone keeps secret record of everywhere you go. Uh, this is via the Guardian. Security research have discovered that Apple's iPhone keeps track of where of where you go and saves every detail of it to a secret file on the device, which is then copied to the owner's computer. When the two are synchronized, the file contains the latitude and longitude of the phone's recorded coordinates along with a timestamp, meaning that anyone who stole the phone or the computer could discover details about the owner's movement using a simple program. For some phones, there could, there could be almost a year's worth of data stored as the recording of data seems to have started with Apple's iOS 4 update on the phone's operating system re- released in June of 2010. Uh, Apple has made it possible for almost anybody, a jealous spouse, a detective, uh, anybody with access to your phone or computer to get detailed information about where you've been, said Peter Warden, one of the researchers. Um, there you go. There. Wow. A year's worth of stuff is on your computer. You got another one for us? Um, pesticide exposure and pregnancy linked to lower IQ in kids. Um, hmm. 
good. I was just going to already pick up some pesticide. Yeah. Well, we're not having any new kids here at the. I was going to say, is that future how does that affect? So how does that affect you? Too, come, too bad for the neighbors come, in the runoff. Though. Come clean, come clean. Um. Oh, I don't know. Do you really want to hear that one? No, we don't have to. Okay. I was going to get on to some listener emails. Okay, I was going to say. I, I mean, yeah. I've got police increasingly peep at peeping at email, instant messages, but that's kind of old hat. Can I, can I mention just this weird one? Rebels hijacked Qaddafi's phone system, <laughs> except they were four Western engineers and a team of bodyguards. Uh, and Mr. Turns we don't out, have any boots on the ground. What do you mean? Uh, and turns out Mr. Ash Bujagar diverted the team and their equipment to an Egyptian airbase on the Libyan border, um, which means that they were flying stuff over there, and then it got diverted to an Egyptian airbase, which, you know, commercial planes just land on airbases. <laughs> Military air bases at will. I mean, what's not that any of this is scripted. Yeah, right? it's mm-hmm. it's uh, like when we went to Somalia and the cameramen were already waiting on the beach. Remember when our soldiers yeah. walked up on the shore? Yeah, here's another one. Why is the Federal Reserve forking over $220 million in bailout money to two of the wives of two Morgan Stanley bigwigs? Um, yeah. Christy Mack yeah. and Susan Karches. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. Uh, I'm done. Okay. <laughs> Let me close with a little weirdness just to cleanse the palate a little bit before we get on to the emails, okay. if that's okay. Because people are probably missing the, the, the weirdness. And this is a story I don't know what to make of, but people will find it interesting. I got it on a site called Hulik, H-U-L-I-Q. And it says, the Longinus Lance that pierced the side of Christ discovered. Okay. Also known as Great. A.K.A. the Spear of Destiny. It says, this is Dateline, Eugene, Oregon. The Holy Lance, known variously as the Longinus Lance and Spear Destiny, that was alleged to have been the weapon that pierced the side of Christ at the crucifixion, has been reportedly found and now hidden at the former Nazi encampment in Antarctica, according to a new book and other investigations now available at the National Archives World War II collection. Um, the Spear Destiny that was used by a Roman soldier to pierce the side of Christ at the crucifixion, and, and by the way, you can go look at Supposedly, the, that particular one at the Haas Museum there in Vienna, you can go look at it. Yeah. Or Hitler looked at it. I saw some it of up. his blood when I was in Belgium. They had it in like a glass container. Jesus's? Yeah. Really? Allegedly, yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, but this is a real spear. I mean, whether whether it has the history or not, it, it is a tangible thing you can go look at, okay? Well, the Except blood was in the jar. I got to see the blood. Oh, I, okay, okay. I had to pay a euro. To Did see you? It, but. Okay. Well... Uh, it's commemorated each Good Friday and Holy Friday in Christian and Orthodox churches. This coming Friday, April 22nd, uh, has been found. Um, this, this spear states Sidney Kirkpatrick in his newly released book, Hitler's Holy Relics, a true story of Nazi plunder and the race to recover the crown jewels of the Holy Roman Empire. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's available at the University of Oregon Library in Eugene, and at other libraries and bookshops worldwide. The book and other documents relating to the location of the Holy Lance were released this month with jaw-dropping reactions from various religious and historic experts who believed the lance that Adolf Hitler plundered during World War II was lost but now thought to have been found. The Spear of Destiny may be uh, in safekeeping at the Vatican, but the Pope won't confirm. Uh, According to Kirkpatrick and numerous other investigations into the whereabouts of the lance that Pierce Christ on the Cross, to include include Trevor Ravenscroft's 1972 book, The Spear of Destiny, 
and Colonel Howard Birchner and Captain Wilhelm Bernard's 88 book, Adolf Hitler and the Secrets of the Holy Lands, that details the Nazi plot to steal and safeguard the lands. The author now states that Hitler made duplicates with the one now being held in a secret location and three others kept under wraps at the Vatican and by wealthy collectors. However, it's now been revealed and confirmed with newly released photos from the National Archives World War II photo collection that Hitler had the original Spear of Destiny in his possession after a special Nazi unit of his stole it from a church in Italy. The Holy Lands then disappeared after Hitler's death at the end of World War II. See, I, this, I don't understand this because I thought they had found it with a group that was with Patton. Like they hit a bomb that hit a building. They went down there and found a secret archive with a bunch of jewels. Mm-hmm. The Spear of Destiny. They held it for like a month while Japan got nuked. And then they were forced to give it back to the Haas Museum in the Austria, yeah, Vienna. I, 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 I'll be honest. This whole thing, my flim flam alert is. Yeah, it may be. It may be. But it's but University it's, it's, of Oregon. Yeah. Plus, I just fit. We haven't had a weird story in a while, yeah. so thought it. Yeah, all the other ones were very mundane. It's caught my eye. Yeah. Okay. Uh, it says a central theme of these books and numerous television documentaries and Hollywood movies is whether or not the U.S. occupation team recovered the actual foot-long bladed point wielded at the crucifixion. States Kirkpatrick in his new book. Besides the spear Hitler coveted and obtained, at least three others exist that their owners believe to be from the lance carried by Longinus, added Kirkpatrick. The Vatican has in its possession a spear point that it steadfastly refuses to permit investigators to examine. Numerous spears exist, but what's the real one? Also, the author points that most historians believe this lance was manufactured during the centuries of the Crusades. Other spear points can be easily dated to later centuries, including one in Armenia, which is venerated and presented for viewing once a year at the Cathedral of Ekmayadzin, the Church of Armenia's patriarch, the author writes. Moreover, students here at the University of Oregon and Eugene and other colleges are receiving more and more ancient history reports, say librarians, as the dusty ancient books and records that are now seeing the light of day. A spear of destiny is said to be real and sought after for its power, Moreover, the author provides details of Heinrich Himmler keeping a copy of the Holy Lance on his desk alongside a vial of blood because Himmler believed the lance carried special powers and because of the object's historical importance and central role in Christ's story. In addition to this, some legends told of Odin, the chief divinity of the Norse pantheon, using a spear to impale himself on a tree to gain enlightenment. Um, Which is very interesting when you think about because I just wrote some stuff on Nimrod and the history of him and the Antichrist mm-hmm. and how the Antichrist will be uh, basically slain or stuck with a sword mm-hmm. and then he recovers from a similar wound, mm-hmm. being much you more powerful, becomes a priest. With the, with, the, with the spear of destiny? Mm-hmm. It's going to be easier to do if there's four of them around. be like if he thought he was another Jesus, you know, Could trying be. to do it, trying to replicate. Anyway, um, uh uh, see, Himmler rose to power as one of the most powerful men in Nazi Germany, as well as one of the persons most directly responsible for the Holocaust. Um, according to, to Buchner and uh, uh, the Buchner and Bernard books, and this new book by Kirkpatrick, the Nazis replaced the authentic lance with a facsimile and then secreted the real lance into hiding in Antarctica. Moreover, a detailed and more scholarly investigation about the spirit of destiny is currently the subject of a detailed study being done by famed historians Volker Scheer and Karine Schlieff at the Arizona Center for Medieval and Renaissance Studies. 
the, quote, original Spear of Destiny that Shear and Schlieff have confirmed as real is not from a lance at all, but is a spike from a Roman standard that legionnaires carried into battle, writes Kirkpatrick. At the same time, it's known that in another alleged holy lance, embedded with what is to believe a nail from the crucifixion, is kept as a treasure in the Krakow Cathedral in Poland. As for the lance Hitler appropriated, Kirkpatrick said it was displayed at the museum in Vienna back in 2003 and underwent a detailed forensic examination that detailed in a Vienna, a Vienna museum report titled The Heiligt Lands in Rhin. <laughs> I hope you all wrote that yes. down. Your German uh, is impeccable. Yeah, I know. You know, I could be one of those guys who goes as a German officer in disguise and they wouldn't catch me. You know? Yeah. While the Vienna Museum, I didn't spit enough. It's not. It's German, not Klingon. Well, that's sort of how you have to talk like that when you're German. All of our German Futurians can back me up on that. Yeah, while we the lost Vienna our German listenership <laughs> now. Plunk. While the Vienna Museum concluded that it was indeed the relic long venerated by Germanic kings, whether it came from the Roman era in the region of Tiberias, and whether it could have been the crucifixion of Christ or doubtful, reports Kirkpatrick. Now, that's counter to all the other people I've seen review the one in the Haas Museum in Vienna. In turn, Kirkpatrick offers a chilling question about why Hitler wanted the Spear of Destiny. The more significant question raised was not whether the lance Hitler brought to Nuremberg was the same that pierced the side of Christ, but how Hitler had appropriated the religious and spiritual icon for the creation of a program that led to the Holocaust. Uh, driven by greed and lust for power, did Hitler's Reich with its Aryan Jesus completely corrupt the lance's essential message of redemption. So the, that that whole thing is always interesting to me because it is a there is a real holy lance that was traced throughout history like uh, Charlemagne had it. You see mm-hmm. his pictures holding yeah. it. Maurice was uh, killed with it in three twenty eight. Yeah. Frederick the third had it, you know, all these great Frederick Barbarossa, other leaders, Napoleon tried to get it, thank God other so anyway. Well, you want to get on to some emails? Let's do some emails, bro. Let's do some emails. We'll round third base here. Can I read one? No. Can you read one? You want to read one? I I do want to read one. Okay. Um, Okay. Just say the name here circled at the top. Okay. Don't say the whole name. My bank account numbers are... Uh Just kidding. Uh, This is from Sister Carol here. Um, Dr. Future and Tom Bionic. Excellent format. Worth the extra work. Your show is excellent. Best for diversity of information. I have gotten a great education in so many areas. Your interaction in the realm of humor, well, priceless. I have giggled much. Best of all, your honor, our Lord and Savior. You honor our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and all all your work. Thank you. Uh, And you both are in my prayers. God bless you both. Carol. I like that one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was nice. Thanks, Carol. Mm -hmm. Okay. You want me to do one here? This Mm -hmm. is from Michael. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, Michael. Dr. Future. <laughs> Michael says, hello, Dr. Future. I am a pastor in San Diego, California. I just want to say I thoroughly enjoy your show. Keep up the good work. Regards, Michael. And I responded back Sweet. to him and told him thanks for supporting. It's nice to have a pastor. You know, he'll still listen to us. And and he responded back to my response to him. Uh, he says, uh, doctor, he says, uh, Thanks. First, thanks for your support. I truly did not expect to receive one. Talks about or thanks for your response. He said, mm-hmm. "Didn't expect to receive one." I feel like I am just your average listener. I tuned in to hear one particular speaker, liked the format, banter, sincerity, etc., and found myself downloading a healthy number of past shows. 
will join the club. I think most people, you know, yeah, going through the that whole sounds about right. thing. Uh, one thing I have found out as a pastor and seeker of truth is that the truth can always stand up to scrutiny. Regardless of how controversial the subject is or how strong we as Christians have been programmed to believe something, if it is truth, it will stand. With that being said, I like being challenged with what and why I believe something. Your show has more often than not shown me that I have accepted far too much at face value. Wow. Well, that's exactly what we hope to do to yeah, ourselves, good too. good for him. He says, one more thing. I think the funniest thing I ever heard was when Tom Bionic said that the new H1N1 flu shot contained so much mercury that the patients being injected were basically being stabbed with a broken thermometer. <laughs> Pure awesome. Now, this is a pastor telling you that, okay? Yeah. Thanks again for all you do. May the Lord Jesus continue to bless your ministry. That's wow. Pastor Michael in San Diego. So, that's, that's pretty cool. You want to read another I might one here? Have to, you know, I do have family there in, in uh, San Diego. I might have to look that guy up someday next time I'm out there. Um, would you like to read one from Paul V? Or Paul I am v. Paul the fifth, I am. Paul, Paul the fifth, I am, I am. <laughs> I was married to the Futuria next door. No, I, she's been married four I, times I, before. If it's if it's, uh, it's Paul V in Phoenix, Paul, I was going to say if it's Paul V. Yeah, um, it's Paul v. I have to sort of apologize to him. Like, what have you done to our friend Paul V? Well, I saw him and I saw him at the Politics of Religion conference. Yeah. And I, I stopped and I said, hey, man, it was just good to see you. And, yeah. And then we drove off and he was walking. And it didn't dawn on me until we got on the highway that yeah. he might have needed a ride to the airport. Oh. I'm, I'm so mean. I didn't just like... Well, that explains a lot of the bad-mouthing in this yeah. email. Actually, this email Caps. preceded that, so you're lucky. Uh, you know what? Sorry, sorry, man. I'm really sorry. It was even worse. And I'll tell you, I, I have one I owe Paul out there, too, because... When we went down to the bowels of the hotel building at the Politics of Religion conference, mm-hmm. you know, we were at the low rent hotel mm-hmm. for all the the, the other cheap people, futurians mm-hmm. who were there along. And we were eating down there in the bowels, and there was one gentleman back in the corner that was really, really quiet. Mm-hmm. And I don't like for people not to be acknowledged any, in any group I'm in. Mm-hmm. I usually go over and say something to them. Mm-hmm. And it was, we were in a hurry to eat, and a few people were speaking up, and I got distracted. And I saw somebody on the corner, and I never did say hey to them. And suddenly, that same person was at the conference and identified them. I didn't know they were even part of the group. Identified themselves as Paul. And I felt so bad that I didn't get to talk to him at breakfast. But yeah. he was cool, and he cut me a lot of slack. And he's a I'm great glad, friend, I'm glad and he he's makes cool great like emails. That, man. I'm glad he's... So do you want to read a Paul V. one, or do you want me to? Uh, if you would, I, I, feel, okay. I still feel too embarrassed. You feel embarrassed? Yeah. Okay. Well, we love you, Paul. Here's what Paul V. in Phoenix has to say. Hey, Dr. Future. And I, listen to this. This is interesting, Okay. Just pay attention to this. Mm-hmm. He says, found something interesting, thought I'd share. I was reading an article from an old magazine called Voyager, circa 1983, about Star Wars. And isn't it nice we see other guys that will read a 1983 magazine, you know. That um, is kind of cool. Yeah. Um, probably got a stack of Reader's Digest and National Geographic to go through two out of the garage. But anyway, this particular article goes on over the various drafts that the original film went through about Star Wars. Okay. Um, it says, check out this summary of the second draft dated January 28, 1975. Mm-hmm. Okay, here's the description of what the movie was supposed to be in the draft. For 100,000 years, the legendary Jedi Bindu Knights were the protectors of the Republic. However, as the Republic grew, its governing body, the Great Senate, fell under the influence of the Power and Transport Guilds. The now-corrupt Senate hunted the Jedi Knights, who fled to the outland systems of the galaxy. 
by boosting civil disorder, hindering justice, and helping terrorists, the Senate manipulated the people into welcoming a police state, and thus the empire was born. It's interesting because the same basic headline is still being followed today in the animated series The Clone Wars. Hmm. So if you caught that, they came up with this idea of supporting civil disorder and helping terrorists, and in the process of it, it let the people welcome a police state coming in. Probably can't see any kind of comparison to today, but... No. You know, very, it's pure uh, fantasy. Very far-fetched. Yeah. <laughs> well, he added an, another thing uh, when I asked him if I could share this. He's, he says, yeah, sure. He says, here's a little more I found. It's from the prologue of the original novelization by Alan Dean Foster. Mm-hmm. Okay, of this. It says, aided and abetted by restless, power-hungry individuals within the government and the massive organs of commerce together... Okay, that's Revelation 18 right there. Isn't it? Yeah. Uh, the ambitious Senator Palpatine caused himself to be elected president of the Republic. He promised to reunite the disaffected among the people and to restore the remembered glory of the Republic. Once. Sorry. It's pretty good. Yeah. Uh, once secure in office. He declared himself emperor, shutting himself away from the populace. Soon he was controlled by the very assistants and bootlickers he had appointed to high office, and the cries of the people for justice did not reach his ears. Hmm. So, but you know that's long, long ago on a land far, far away. Mm-hmm. So, really the galaxy far, far away didn't have any kind of relationship. Oh. I guess that makes us like R2-D2 and C-3PO. What are you talking about? I don't think we're anything <laughs> like that. <laughs> you know, actually people find that more coherent than our normal discussion. <laughs> I was going to say. I think, actually just we're, made, I think we're blessed more by that. the smartest thing I've ever said on radio, yeah. Speaking of R2-D2, would you let Pyro out? He's right. he's evidently been convicted by something that you shared there. Yep. So, um, Can I continue a little bit? Do you mind? Please. While we're at it, I don't want to go on too long, but... Uh, Chris and Karen, who are two of our biggest supporters uh, out there, um, he he sent a uh, email here. I thought you might find it a little funny. Uh, they ordered one of the commemorative book sets, and they've supported us in many ways. Mm-hmm. It says, Dear Dr. Future Tom Bionic, I just purchased the commemorative set from your website, and doing so reminded me of a story that you might find slightly humorous. Earlier this winter, we purchased the Most Frightening Issues book. Remember the one that I wrote mm-hmm. part of that's on our website? Mm-hmm. From your website, and we're excited to receive it with an autograph from Dr. Future. At roughly the same time, my wife Karen ordered a handful of books from Raiders News Network. Those books arrived in a box so neatly packed that it didn't need any packing material. However, there were two free copies of the Most Frightening Issues book. Mm-hmm. The same one that you know we on our website yeah. included that she didn't order. We deduced that they were being used as packing material. Great. The book that I wrote part of yeah. packing material. It's like the equivalent of peanuts. Yeah. He says, "Sorry, it makes me chuckle. The extra copies didn't gather dust for long. My son gave them to one of his school teachers, because that must have blown their mind, and a father of a friend for Christmas. Hmm. Your brother in Christ, Chris. Thanks, man. And." uh uh, let's see if there was something else I wanted to share here. Um, 
I, I, I emailed them back and sort of laughed about this, you know, and told them thanks for all the, their help to us. Um, uh, they say, uh, I wish you could see how unambiguously positive we view Future Quake. I cannot imagine the effort that is required to produce that much content, but none of it is lost on us. Karen and I have been in FQ, Future Quake, overdrive for about six months, and I can personally attest that your show pulled me out of a spiritual nosedive. I was ready-made for easy deception. I had always tried to shoehorn scripture into my scientific worldview instead of seeing how science rather easily fit into literal scripture. The former only leads to lifelong frustration and doubt, trust me. One of the first shows out of the archives that we downloaded was L.A. Marzulli interview that led me to an eyes wide open moment on understanding Genesis 6. Hmm. Um, during the first 15 minutes of the show, I thought you guys were crazy, but my mind was just cracked open enough to let some truth seep in and the rest is history. Hmm. I wish you could be a fly on the wall and listen in on the lively dinner time conversation that now ensues amongst our family of four because Karen and I are finally on the same page. It's that's Chris's spouse. Mm-hmm. Our oldest is an outspoken eighth grader at a local Christian school. And we found out during a rather interesting parent-teacher conference this year that our dinnertime conversation spilled over into each and every class he has. Needless to say, Future Quake is very, very important to our family. That's far out, man. Isn't that awesome? That's cool. I like that one. That our seditious discussions are actually percolating to destroy America's youth and the awesome. Christian schools. Or save them. Yeah, or save them. Yeah. It says, uh, uh, sorry, I didn't mean to the frightening bookstore to be a downer. Uh, he says, I will sincerely tell you, I thought the book was very well done. Sans one or two chapters. Well, guess what that was. And your chapter is one of the best <laughs> of the lot. Keep up excellent work. Oh, Isn't that cool? Oh, my gosh. That actually, that, you know, some of the stuff, they're probably talking about ayahuasca there in the school. Hmm. Um, Would you like me to uh, proceed or not call it a day? No, I'm, I'm enjoying them, especially okay, that sure. one. That was okay. good. Um, let's see. Um, it says, greetings, Dr. This is from uh, Justin. Okay. Greetings, Dr. Future and Tom, the worst nightmare of the globalist, dominionist, elites, Luciferians, and the like, bionic. Okay. I'm originally from central Mississippi, but in the past year I moved to Tennessee near Chattanooga. Mm-hmm. Which I, I made a note here that we're basically one rendition flight away from us here in Nashville. So Sweet. it's good to be close. Uh, having a biblical worldview and a penchant for looking around the world somewhat sideways, I'm thankful for finding your show. I first stumbled across Future Quake through Derek and Sharon Gilbert. Not sure what I was searching. I found an interview with Tom Horn on PID. I thought it was interesting enough to go on the web searching for more interviews with Mr. Horn. That's when I ran across a little offbeat show called Future Quake. And what can I say? You had me at Rockefeller. although i don't agree with everything i do find it insightful entertaining and always thought provoking it's not every day you hear intelligent conversation with a conspiratorial flavor from a christian and honestly i couldn't have found you sooner you see before i found you merry band of misfits uh, that's a moniker i've given to you guys the gilberts chris white and others of your circle Mm -hmm. misfits really does fit Uh, the island of unwanted toys maybe the only place i had for conspiracy and alternative media was coast to coast a.m I'm sure I don't have to go into any details as where I was being led. As an artist, I enjoyed listening to off-the-wall stuff while I work and sometimes grew frustrated with the indoctrination I was receiving from coast to coast. 
Needless to say, finding you guys was a blessing, and I've been listening to your show for the past four years. Attached, uh, he, he sent some emails. He sent some paintings. They were called Bread and Circuses. It's a group of four paintings to be displayed together. It's a symbolic commentary of our culture. It includes a circus tent draped with an American flag, hot air balloons useful for distracting, and a black sheep flying a banner in an attempt to sound a warning. Um, it's pretty wild looking. It looks like to me I something that... I think you sent that, those to yeah, me. Yeah, it reminded me of like Terry Jones from Monty Python, that kind of style <laughs> of drawing. Um, and... Uh, uh, let us know, Justin. I'd like to give your your uh, website for people to see this picture, if you don't mind. Um, and then he mentioned on a recent trip to Nashville, I saw an ominous-looking building overpowering the skyline. Is it just me, or does the AT&T building, I think that's the Bell South building mm-hmm. now, look like a giant horned owl? Yes, it does, in fact. Look like mm-hmm. it. It's like bigger than the Bohemian Grove owl, but it's yeah. a building. At the very least, the AT&T logo with cutouts on either side resembles an all-seeing eye. I'm just saying. Thank you. Thank you for your hard work, courage, and inspiration. Wow. So. Coolio. Anyway. Um, want to do one more for the road? One more for the road. Okay. One more for the road. Okay. Um, oh, this this one you'll find interesting. You too. Mm-hmm. Um, Dear Dr. Future, the witty, and Tom, the pleasantly irreverent bionic. You know, they come up with better middle names than you can for these emails. Oh, I know. Well, it's not hard. I mean. Uh, At least it's not as many punctuation points Mm -hmm. in it. Uh, This is Brother David uh, sent one in, okay? Uh, It has a .ca, so I assume he's from Canada. Uh, I'm enjoying your show even more since you were kicked to the curb by mainstream radio. Uh, That's a little harsh. Actually, they were sold. The station was sold. So they were different format, you know. Mm -hmm. Unless we did urban contemporary music, we would not, Future Quake would not fit in to their format. Okay, thank you. Uh, keep it up. I know you will. Recently, Sherry and I, I assume that's a significant other to David, mm-hmm. was invited to a special preview showing of the pilot for a new TV show that I can only describe as being a hybrid, the non-scary kind of hybrid, of documentary and reality program called Biblical Proportions. Unfortunately, they have to keep the full pilot under wraps until it's picked up by Christian TV or other networks. However, Jim sent me a link to the opening sequence, which I can share with you. And I saw it, and it was the bizarrest thing in the world I've ever seen. I hope you can squeeze in a few seconds to take a look. If you wish, comment on... uh, There's a place to comment about it. Basically, this was a Christian reality show where you had to, like Survivor, where you had to redo some of the exploits, like in the Bible. Like build I would like love to build see. like certain forts or okay. things like that, like in the Old Testament, or make the sun stand still. The Elijah still. challenge: you have to run 16 miles over exactly over roads, roads barefooted in front of a chariot. But it was done for like you know it was like a bunch of Christian marketing people saying, "Well, we could look like the world and do worldly things that will make it Christian." You know, I'm just um, Christian on it a little bit. I wrote in there it says, uh, "Boy, brother David, that was weird." It looks like some entrepreneur thinks everyone wants to watch reality shows and Christians should follow the trends. Uh, and I asked him, you know, I wanted to mention that the show, is that okay? And he says, uh, David gets back and he says, thanks for getting back with me, brother. Believe it or not, some of them mean well, but yes, it's being viewed primarily as any other market. And they're not alone in that. In fact, they're latecomers, in my opinion. Afterward, some of those who produced it and performed in it 
uh, came by a small gallery open house, and one of the gentlemen openly pronounced that he was an avowed atheist. Hmm. This is a guy making a Christian show, okay? Avowed atheist. I would say that's probably not probably all that completely unique in Christian. I was going to say, what's the big deal, music? man? Yeah. Well, you know, um, I, I don't, I don't know if I would like that to happen. But the guy who made uh, the Gospel of John movie, yeah, uh, I believe, was an atheist. And there are a lot of there are a lot right. of just like British actors. They're just right, just right. actors. So well, this guy was a producer. Oh. Okay, he says I prodded and nodded, prodded gingerly, but I really couldn't get a satisfactory answer as to how he felt. His religious convictions jived with this project, and ultimately I perceived that it was simply a potential source of revenue for him. I think like a lot of Christian entertainment. Mm -hmm. Personally, I haven't set to a single reality show yet. I haven't seen most of them accidentally. Um, so yes, please do mention. I believe you'll be the first on any media to mention it, and that works for me. I bet you can bet I'll be listening. You know, regardless of my viewpoint, I would still want... Uh, you and Brother Tom to be as honest and sincere as ever. Frankly, even if I wasn't called or faithful, I would want that. But it does help to know that what you do is appreciated, whether it is well-received or not, because all our words are heard and our actions seen. Good is good and is the best we can hope to do until the big future quake when we meet our Maker, Father, and our Son, our Lord, when we've been transformed. Mm -hmm. Earthquake resurrection. Yeah. So, anyway... Biblical proportions. You might want to look that up. All right. It was one of the weirdest videos I saw. So, I guess we can call her a day. We've been rattling on for a good bit. Yeah. You don't have anything really interesting to share? Well, I had the thing about President Lincoln. Did he really believe in God and that he was a pantheist? Are you interested in that? Sure. I hate to. I was sort of wrapping things up here, but I will. I will share it if you want. Yeah, I like it. By the way, I mentioned this book. There's a new book out um, that Newt Gingrich is coming out called A Nation Like No Other, Why American Exceptionalism Matters, which is the main evil that I hate because I think it, all the other things we cover sort of come under that yeah. that unbiblical Defin idea. Definitely a linchpin for sure. Uh, his quote, this is a quote from Amazon.com. I'd love to get him on to interview him on this, so I'm going to give it a try. Yeah. Uh, he says, America is exceptional, and all of us who believe in America must resolve to stand firmly for American exceptionalism. Mm. Which means we can do whatever we please. We're not accountable to anybody. There you go. Uh, here's what President Link, what they said. This is from Discovery.com, like Discovery Channel. Um, Lincoln was not religious for most of his life, but his faith seems to have evolved and progressed during his presidency. Um, Abraham Lincoln is known for many things. He led the nation to the Civil War, emancipated slaves, and delivered eloquent speeches uh, about democracy and liberty. But Lincoln's religious views have long been a matter of debate. This goes into this whole Barton reinvention of things, you know. Mm -hmm. Now, a newly resurfaced letter from the 19th century is raising questions once again about the 16th president's relationship to God. A three-page letter, which was written by Lincoln's old law partner, William Herndon, and just went up for sale for a price of 35000 claims that Honest Abe was driven not by faith but by politics. Surprise, Shock. surprise. Uh, Lincoln's attitude toward religion was clearly complex in the discussion. It's far from over, as some evidence suggests that Lincoln's sense of faith evolved and deepened through the war in his presidency. Um, uh, however, the letter offers a rare view of Lincoln's inner life from someone who knew him before he went to Washington. Uh, Mr. Herndon, who was writing about his dear friend Lincoln, says, Mr. Lincoln's religion is too well known to me to allow even a shadow of a doubt. He is or was a theist and rationalist, denying all extraordinary 
supernatural inspiration or revelation. Hmm. So he believed in a God, just not one that actively... Contacted us. Yeah. Uh, had any kind of special acts in the world or even revealed himself. Yeah, I was going to say just yeah, very close to a pantheist worldview where God was not doing stuff. Yeah. Um, uh, and this was a letter signed in 1866, year after Lincoln's assassination. At one time in his life, to say the least, he was an elevated pantheist, mm-hmm. uh, doubting the immortality of the soul, as the Christian world understands that term. Continue the letter. Mm-hmm. Uh, addressed to Edward McPherson, clerk of the U.S. House of Representatives. I love Mr. Lincoln dearly, almost worship him, but that can't blind me. He's the purest politician I ever saw and the justest man. Uh, born in a log cabin in Kentucky in 1809, Lincoln was raised a Baptist but reject, rejected organized religion and never joined a congregation as an adult. I don't know how many people know that. Um, after trying a variety of careers... More now. Yeah, yeah well, a handful more at least. Yeah. Um, it says he taught himself to be a lawyer, moved to Illinois, where he partnered with Herndon, the guy who wrote this letter mm-hmm. in 1844. They were law partners. The two remained close until 1861 when Lincoln left to begin his presidency. Uh, Twenty years later, after Lincoln's death, a flurry of biographies emerged, many of them attempting to Christianize Lincoln, said historian Ronald White, the author of Abe Lincoln, a biography. Herndon wanted to set the record straight. So he embarked on a journey to collect oral histories about the real Lincoln, which would eventually lead to another biography published years later with help from a collaborator. Herndon's letter to Congress was part of that effort. People debate Lincoln's religion today. It's often invoked in public debate that there's also an active debate among scholars. Um, let me just skip on here. Um, it says, Herndon's personal experience with Lincoln was his pre-presidential period where, when religion was completely absent from his life. Uh, when Lincoln left for the White House, they never met up again. Hmm. And they say later that the Civil War and the death of his son pushed Lincoln to consider God in ways he never had before. Uh, I know one way he did was we talked about that with uh, David with uh, Horowitz, Mitch mm-hmm. Horowitz. Remember when he was having seances in the uh, say, yeah, had the spiritualist in the White House. And, his wife was a big seance person. Uh-huh. He just and Lincoln was there. Well, he yeah. was there yeah. with the Secretary of War and all these other ones when they were doing it. And she told him that he should sign the Emancipation Proclamation. The spiritualist uh-huh. that said the spirit told him to do it. Uh, so. Uh, Anyway, so I'm just going to sort of leave it like that. Um, uh, Let's see here. Yeah, so anyway, hopefully that pictures a little thing. Well, we're pretty late in the show. Want to call her a day? I could go for hours, my friend. We've got some Ultraman to watch. Ooh, well, okay. I knew how to tempt you. I guess that's it. I would attempt you with White Castles if that would work. But it would have. It was like, like I, kryptonite. I think our listeners are probably, you know, a little wiped out and tired right now. Anyway, no, I'm sure that they're like, more. I want more. Oh my gosh, I want more. More quake. Yeah. Um, would you all please keep us in your prayer? Really please. appreciate that very, very much. And um, you know, give us whatever guidance you can, and appreciate your patience with us. Any last words you got? Don't give us guidance if you're, like, worshiping Moloch or something. I'm so glad you clarified that, particularly for the Moloch worshiping segment of the Futurians. But we have atheists and stuff that listen. Yeah. We do have some atheists. Uh, I just never knew we attracted the Moloch crowd, you know. 
they're all, but, you, know. you know. Keep listening if you do. We, yeah. We might have a few things to say about that. And mm-hmm. Let us know how Bohemian Grove goes, too. Apparently, JFK was part of... Never mind. You do this stuff. You say these cryptic things. Oh, well, never mind. <laughs> You should have an organ, like in the old soap opera. <laughs> 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 Ladies and gentlemen, we really do have to go. Sorry. We we might actually start getting silly here. We wouldn't want that to happen on Future no. Quake. We love you all. Oh, almost forgot Merv. Merv, would you come tell our listeners how to contact us at mm-hmm. Future Quake? Future Quake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. Okay, then we really have to go. Ciao. Okay, come back. Be thinking about coming to the future Congress conference. Going to be some pretty exciting things happening with us there, right? Word up. Yeah. Yeah, going to uh, check that one out. I think it's July 22nd through 24th, I believe. Mm-hmm. So go check that out over at RaidersNewsNetwork.com. But until then, we hope your future is always bright. Have a good day. Ciao. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. quake, quake, quake.